Loki reveals that Northstar is a fairy. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast, where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is comics writer Steve Fox, the co-creator of Razorblades magazine with James Tynan IV, editor of the critically acclaimed Department of Truth at Image Comics, and writer of the upcoming graphic novel Spider-Ham, Great Power, No Responsibility, coming from Scholastic this October. Steve, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Very, very warm uh, here in NYC and excited to talk about Canada and kind of cool down psychically. Yeah, I am out in Westchester. It is also really hot here. Have you gotten the rain down there yet? I think the whole next week is supposed to be. Because it rained. There was like a, a squall today for like an hour. The other day I went for a run and I got about a mile out and it started pouring and then hailing mm-hmm. uh, as I was trying to make my way back home. For those of you who are not New York people, Westchester is a pretty big county. It is not upstate. It is downstate. The place where I am, which is about 30 minutes south of Salem Center, where the X-Men live, is about an hour north of New York City by car. So it can rain here and not in the city. It's not like it's not a crazy thing for me to be Right. No, no, no. It's far enough apart. And I'm in Astoria, which is next door to Forest Hills, which is where mm-hmm. Peter Parker is. Sure is. Famously from, even though there's like no tall buildings to swing, swing from. No, it would be hard to be Spider-Man in Queens. Yeah, no, a lot of like uh, running and leaping. Yeah, it would be a lot of jumping and sticking to things. Like, you know, <laughs> one of those. Like, remember in the 90s when we had those like oh, yeah, the little hands that yeah. you would, yeah, slap on the walls and whatnot? <laughs> they probably still have those. I just think of, I think of like the kids these days as ha- like playing on their Switch and their iPad and like not with sticky hands, you know, like we didn't have things like that. Right. And we're standing on our porches yelling at them and throwing the sticky hands at them. Yeah. <laughs> Steve is here with me today to talk about Jean-Paul Bobier, the high-flying North Star. Steve was one of the first people to reach out about being on this podcast, and it's only taken this long because I was like, I want to do a June Pride Month with all the gay characters, which it's one of those things where it's like, hmm... That's sad that you can fit them all into one month, which I kind of can. You know what I mean? Like, we've had some more bisexuals now, thankfully. I wasn't doing a knoll. I will cross that Academy X bridge when I come to it. But I've been actually it'll be soon because I'm I'm doing a Laura episode in a couple months. And I don't know shit about X-23, <laughs> like uh, beyond what I've, you know, I've read a couple of the big stories. But I bought the Tom Taylor omnibus. I bought the Marika Tamaki. Oh, yeah. Those stuff. are both great. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dig in. But in any case... North Star is a character that it's going to be funny for me to talk about. Not because I don't like him, because I do like him, but because I am really only familiar with him from his X-Men stories and from the original John Byrne Alpha Flight run. I haven't really read anything else. Like I've read bits and pieces of the Mantlo Alpha Flight, which is demented. The thing about it is North Star's not in most of it. No, he gets ridden out, yeah, about 20 issues in. Yeah, so uh, there are a lot of gaps in my knowledge of this character, and I trust that you, because for for listeners, if you're not familiar, John Byrne leaves Alpha Flight after issue 28. 
so then it's just sort of a a wild ride all the way to I am gay, which uh, is a Scott Lobdell issue in 1993 that we'll get to. Uh, that one I've read. I'm excited about this because I think that Steve, who has assured me he read every 616 appearance of North Star in advance of this recording, is going to be teaching me a lot about this character, which I'm going to find very fun because I, I love to learn about our half-fairy former terrorist neighbor to the north. Few of those things have been retconned. A terrorism hasn't, has it? No, that's been softened throughout the years. Well, sliding timescale, it's a little hard to be like he was <laughs> in the Quebecois separatist movement in the 70s now. Right. Right? Like, it's a little... Actually, it's much like last week's problem with karma, which is that the Vietnam War backstory is trickier and trickier if she's still 25. Right. Now she's probably about 30 because she's Colossus's age. But, like, the idea that we have to make that make sense is always, you know, going to be difficult. Krakoa helps. Because <laughs> <laughs> now who cares? Right. I'd love, before we dig into JP, to talk about your origin story with the X-Men, how you came to love this world and these characters, and why you wanted to talk about North Star. Sure. Well, you know, like a lot of people in our age range, I'm 31, so I was kind of like the perfect target audience for the 1992 animated series, but that was not my first exposure to the X-Men. My first exposure was a Pride of the X-Men VHS that I yep. got at a Meyer when Meyer had like a VHS section. Wow. Love a Pride of the X-Men VHS moment. That's a pretty common, like for those of us in our 30s, I think that's a very common entry point. Yeah. Especially homosexuals because exactly. it's very gay. It's got Dazzler. It's got Emma It's Frost. got Dazzler. It's got Emma. It's got Storm. It's got Kitty. Yeah, it was completely foundational for me. Uh, even though, you know, there's so many weird things about it, like oh, so weird. famously being Australian in it. Um, but it was so foundational and I wore that VHS out. And at the same time, the toy line really started rolling out. Uh, I think a lot of people associate the toy line with the 1992 cartoon, but they were going before that. And they, some of the first lines had the most bizarre choices of characters like Kane <laughs> and yeah. you know, the people who were, you know, GW Bridge, people who would never go on to play any significant role in the like, six the pack media. all had action figures. Oh yeah, I had a Grizzly it really toy is wild. Like, before I had a Jean Grey toy. I was talking to Teeny about classic Excalibur stuff, and I was like, it still chaps my ass to this day. I like Kylon, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but the fact that I had a Kylon action figure and there was no Rachel, Kitty, or Megan action figure, outrageous. Sure. Well, obviously the women were getting left out because of yeah. you know, the conventional wisdom in 1991 Was that they don't sell. Yeah, was that they don't sell. And then once they did start including women, it was, you know, 50 storms and like a gene here and there. And then the She-Force, which was all repaints of the same, like, three models. Oh, that's right. And I think that was the only time to get Dazzler for a long time. Yep. She had Jubilee's rollerblades, spray-painted <laughs> silver. It was a mess. But I had that one. I bought every fucking She-Force figure I could get my hands on. Because I was like, finally! Yeah. The dam has broken the deluge <laughs> of fierce bitches is here in six inch. And I want them all. But it was really foundational. The toys kind of dragged me in even before I got hooked on the, the cartoon because as a kid, you know, you have that, it's kind of like the Pokemon mentality. You got to catch them all. And it was so fascinating to see all these brightly colored, you know, confusingly named characters and not know what any of their stories were. 
And I think it, it ended up being to my benefit that a lot of the first ones I got obsessed with never ended up appearing on the TV show because mm-hmm. I had these like mental gaps where they could kind of be anyone. You know, these characters like Grizzly or Kill Spree or whoever were much cooler in my head than they ever were in the comics. That's me with Shard, Bishop's sister. Oh, yeah. She had that little actual hair ponytail. Yeah, there was a, the action figure had like a ponytail. I mean, it was mm-hmm. synthetic, but it was like actual hair rather than plastic. Yeah. Like a Barbie almost braid coming down. And I thought she was so cool. And she was in like two episodes of the cartoon, I want to say. Right. And otherwise was just in the Howard Mackie X Factor, which I remember enjoying because I liked Shard and Mystique and Polaris. <laughs> but I am choosing probably never to reread it because it, I don't think it, yeah, it's, 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 I reread it's the, not... the, the issues that North Star shows up in for this. And, yeah. uh, you know, that. We look back on some 90s books now with fondness and we don't look back on others. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did reread Mutant X, which is insane. Oh, I love Mutant but X. I love Mutant X. Yeah. So, but the, the X Factor run that precedes Mutant X is mm-hmm. pretty crazy. But yeah, the, the toys really kind of dragged me in and just the curiosity of wondering who all these characters were leading into me watching the cartoon, leading into me reading the comics as as successfully as I could as a kid in the 90s. You know, I know you've talked about your dad having a collection. Mm-hmm. I I did not have like an older brother or cousin or, or parent or anyone who had the comics. So my 90s education as it was happening was very sporadic. Like, you know, I have issues of the 12 and Onslaught and things, but I became a regular reader and this ties into Northstar um, during Eve of Destruction, which is the arc that directly precedes Grant Morrison coming on the book. And in Eve of Destruction, Jean has to quickly assemble uh, it's whoever the fuck is laying around, it seems, because it's three new characters, two of whom we like never see again. Northstar, Dazzler, and a mind-controlled Frenzy. Yes. That was one of my first introductions to him. I had had the Alpha Flight toy, and I thought him and Aurora were silly. Like, you know, it didn't interest me as a kid compared to yeah. Sasquatch. And uh, they had, the, like, the toys were made so they could hold hands. And I was like, okay, well, Right, because is... Northstar and Aurora, if you're not familiar, they make flashes of light by holding hands. That's one yes, of their powers. Yes, this was not a power that sold a seven-year-old very well. I was like, okay, this is Yeah, it's, I mean, cool. I thought Aurora was cool because she was, pre- I just liked all the girls. You know? <laughs> that was just my... I, as a homosexual, I, I'm I've, I'm fairly late on the like getting excited about all the women characters train. Gotcha. I was early on the like I'm curious about these men in spandex train. Like, right. That, yeah. That no. And that's definitely so. also key. But I think that my priority was always <laughs> standing. The I dudes. love her. Yeah. You know, <laughs> who is she? Like right. that's my. You know, I actually the Alpha Flight character I thought was awesome was Snowbird, and then I learned more about snowbird and don't think that anymore but she's pretty <laughs> she's pretty yeah <laughs> even with the like oddly low hairline like i don't mind that it's the fact that she's a white blonde inuit goddess that's sure well listen we just have to say up front that like <laughs> while john byrne was raised in canada and was trying really hard to represent a lot of things in this book success uh, rate varied uh, yeah yeah and you know it's a book from the 80s but back to my first experience with Northstar, it was him being this like cocky asshole who did not want to join the team and spent the whole time undermining them and getting in fights with like the macho guy. Paulie Provenzano. Yes. 
Very recently, he is Stinger's baby daddy in the Krakoa stuff, which is hilarious. And also Wraith is there, uh, who's like see-through, and I don't think he ever showed up again. And Sunpire. Sunpire, The retconned in sister of Sunfire who had never previously appeared and who has the name Leiyu, which is not a Japanese name. I mean, it has an L in it, which sure. is indicative of the fact that it's not a Japanese name. Yeah, well, authentic nomenclature was not a, a strong suit of the X-Men when it came to Asia. Those characters suck. <laughs> they just do. And they're so bad that the Sunpire shows up again, I think, one time. And it's to get murdered by Mystique, the uh, Joe the Casey and issues, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of that little micro run but you know sunfire also a different version of her plays a big role in exiles that's a sunfire though and it's oh, not lay you it's a version of mariko yoshida who's sunfire's cousin it was certainly a moment i liked her yeah she was cool. <laughs> back to john paul <laughs> back to john paul this is a, the thing about this podcast is sometimes you start talking the about the lesbian mariko yoshida who became sunfire <laughs> and was in the exiles you know simultaneous to seeing him show up as like this out gay man in the actual X-Men book, I was a very frequent reader of Wizard Magazine and Toy Fair Magazine. I don't know if either of those played a role in your like nerdy childhood. Wizard did for sure, yeah. So in Toy Fair, there was a feature called Twisted Toy Fair Theater. And they used the, um, if anyone had seen Robot Chicken, three or four of the people who went on to create Robot Chicken did Twisted Toy Fair Theater before. And it was an ongoing sort of like comedy strip that they did with um, Mego action figures, which were like Mm -hmm. the eight or nine inch doll superheroes. And they originally did Marvel and DC, but they got like a cease and desist from from DC almost immediately. And then it was all Marvel characters going on. But Northstar frequently appeared in that as the most stereotypical like gay jokes. Like there was an ongoing thing that he wanted to trick daredevil into kissing him because daredevil was blind uh they made fun of thor for being gay a lot because he had long hair it really is like the most immature bro nerd humor and it's interesting to look how that shaped a certain segment of fandom not to get too heavy out of gate but a lot of the people who worked at wizard and toy fair went on to have pretty substantial roles in the industry yeah a lot of them worked at dc up until like a year or two ago in pretty big roles but twisted toy fair theater i had this regular exposure to north star right when i was realizing i was gay as this like effeminate punchline yeah who was a joke right a total joke and it was just like mocking his femininity and how he just wanted to seduce all the boys and it was never like out and out gays are gross but obviously that's an undercurrent to that kind it's of the subtext of it yeah. right yeah the joke is you don't want to be like that right and that he's predatory right yeah it's scary because he wants to kiss you be careful like right. that's the you know so it's weird that like some of my first exposure to north star was as this punchline character that he never actually is in the comics if he, even before he was able to come out uh, you know, Marvel never treated in that way. But as a young nerd, piecing things together from like, okay, I have this toy. He shows up in this magazine that I take as the authority on nerd stuff. And he's a joke here. And he gets made fun of sometimes in Wizard. And, you know, he had this coming out issue that everyone thinks is campy. It, it certainly created a picture of him in my head. Yeah. And so it was probably good timing for me that he then went on to go into the Chuck Austin run where he's treated 
it, with a good amount of dignity. It's honestly shocking how much dignity he's treated with in the Chuck Austin run. And I think it's part of what, even as I was so angry about elements of the Chuck Austin run, <laughs> the reason I think I looked at it to some extent with fondness, it was like North Star was on the X-Men for the first time for like an official X-Men, not like Gene's bullshit right. team and even destruction <laughs> and was like a cool character. I was into the flirtation with Bobby. Like mm -hmm. that was interesting to me. And then I loved apart from the wedding, which is deranged. <laughs> I loved Austin's take on Polaris as like a bad girl because she had always been such a good girl. And I loved Polaris and the idea of spinning her out of Genosha and turning her into this very troubled, gritty. She's sort of the Wolverine of that team in a way that's yeah. fascinating. Women are so rarely afforded the opportunity to be that character, especially if they don't have a physical power. Right. So she was just sort of sitting around in like a sex vampire outfit, like doing magic. And it was cool, you know? Yeah, well, I, I, I was telling my boyfriend, like when I binged all of this North Star stuff, the, the trend with North Star is for straight, as far as we know, straight white men who we otherwise think of as kind of problematic, actually handling him pretty well. John Byrne, mm -hmm. Scott Lobdell, and then Chuck Austin. You know, all these guys have had criticisms levied at them for various reasons, most of them very valid. But if you look just in isolation at how they wrote North Star, this gay character who could have very easily been taken in more... Um, derogatory directions they all handled him with with varying degrees of success for the time in which they were writing him yeah and that's kind of the best treatment he had up until marjorie lou mm -hmm. i would agree i mean i think that it's actually it's not unlike i published it like an hour ago before we started recording the karma episode the thing about karma is that not many writers have ever cared right. about karma so you have claremont who cares but doesn't do a lot with her as opposed to like his other favorites, like Betsy or Rogue or Kitty or Storm. And then you have Zeb Wells in the New Mutants run, and then you have Marjorie Liu. And until Vita started writing Karma in the current run, those are like the only three writers I would say have ever put any investment into Karma. North Star is kind of a similar case. John Byrne was invested in North Star, and then Nisiesa was invested in North Star, but wasn't on Alpha Flight for that long. Mm -hmm. And as he said on this podcast, is very annoyed that he didn't get to write the coming out issue because he had a much subtler plan Take for how it, to sure. do it. Yeah. And then Lobdell was interested, I think, in that, in the excitement factor of doing that. Because, of course, at the same time, Lobdell's trying to out Iceman in X-Men mm -hmm. and isn't allowed to. So I think he was excited to get to do it with North Star because it's the first. I mean, this is the first openly gay character at Marvel in terms of a superhero. Right. I was going to say, I think Extraño predates him a little bit at DC. That's at DC. I said at Marvel. Yeah. Marvel North Star is the first superhero to come out. And then it's the only one for quite a while. For quite a while. Yeah. Except for Hector of the Pantheon over in like Peter David. Right. Hall. Who he gets to appear with in the I remember that. Issue. Yes. Because yeah. in the swimsuit issue, he and Hector have their little speedo moment by the pool, <laughs> which I thought was pretty racy as like. A yeah. Young... I mean, the whole swimsuit issues are extremely gay and very. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And, well, uh, you know who you know who um, directed those, edited them, whatever you want to call who? Christian Cooper, who was at the center of that whole controversy when he was birding oh, that yeah. racist woman called the cops when he was at Marvel doing all this editorial work, this is when he was publishing Darkhold, which he created Victoria Montesi, who was the first lesbian character at Marvel. 
he was a gay black man and he mm-hmm. edited those. He still is, but you got what I'm, I'm talking about like in the, at the time. <laughs> right, right. And he, I think, architected a lot of that swimsuit issue stuff. So that's, I mean, and of course it makes sense now. You're like, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, the men in that are objectified at the same level as women. And it's really, really. It's really cool, honestly. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was just yeah. thinking of like the, the Colossus and then the mm-hmm. completely unhinged Namor that Jay Lee did. Yes. I also think of the one where the Punisher has like a thong. and It's just a skull in front of his junk. That's camp. That's camp. That is looking <laughs> camp straight in the eye. You know, like that is delightful. But the women also were like very, you know, sexy. So it oh, was sure. equal opportunity. But it's just not, it was just nice to see the men in a way that I think hadn't really been done since the 80s. Right. The men being sort of sexualized in that way in the artwork. Yeah. And there's a lot of fun with that in the 90s, like going into Jim Lee and other, you know, especially with the X-Men, they had so much downtime drawn into issues that you do get a lot of fun, like himbo outfits. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's kind of a shame, like North Star missed out on a lot of that because of the direction North um, Alpha Flight went. But, you know, we can talk about that all in good time. I, I did such <laughs> a, a deep ride on, uh, a deep read on Alpha Flight uh, that I, I'm ready to go through this entire series chronologically with you. I am really excited to do that because I will just, quite honestly, like you're going to tell me that I mean, we're going to get to like scramble and purple girl oh, and yeah. I'm gonna lose my mind. Oh, purple girl actually has a big connection to North Star. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, do you want me to take it away? Is that I'm how, just thinking, just I, I guess we should just jump in. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about his general sort of trajectory through Alpha Flight, because I think that that's probably what most listeners here are going to be unfamiliar with. Like he debuts in that Claremont and Byrne issue of where all of Alpha Flight debuts because they're trying to get Wolverine to come back to Canada with them. That spins them off into Byrne's Alpha Flight series. But I think most X fans don't read Alpha Flight. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's not, it was never seen as like an X book. It was sort of its own thing. It's always kind of been its Canadian cousin. They're related for sure because of the Wolverine connection, because of the way that North Star and Aurora, who are mutants, keep sort of going in and out of X-Men stuff on occasion. Mm -hmm. But there are so many Alpha Flight characters that I only know because I had the Marvel superheroes like pen and paper RPG. Right. With all the characters had like Goblin and the Dream Queen, (laughs) Omega Flight and all those weirdos, you know? Yeah. Well, the fun thing, so Alpha Flight is always kind of X-Men adjacent. One of the things that keeps it in that orbit, even when the Wolverine connection isn't foregrounded, is that from Burn and beyond, there's just a frequency of mutants on the team that Mm -hmm. you don't see with a lot of other non-X teams. Like, you know, Avengers, New Warriors... Uh, champions. There have been mutants on almost every Marvel team, but it is a regular well from which Alpha Flight creators pulled. Even though there's not like a directive for Alpha Flight to involve Canadian mutants and the initial team, it's just Aurora and Northstar with the X gene, but they kind of keep going back to that. Right. You end up with Radius and Purple Girl who becomes Persuasion, which is a much better code name. (laughs) Like I said, Goblin and Laura yeah, Dean a, and yeah, Laura Dean. Madison Jeffries and Diamond Lil and like all of those Wild Child, all of those Wild are mutants. Yeah, so that there's a way in which it kind of stays the weird Canadian cousin. Uh, and those first 28, 29 issues, whatever John Byrne did, there's certainly storytelling similarities to the X-Men. It feels more yeah. like the X-Men than it does the Avengers. But absolutely, which is the only reason I because I never could get into the Avengers. 
apart from like a couple adventures where Monica Rambo or Carol Danvers did something cool. That was like the extent of my interest. Alpha Flight, I actually read the Burn Alpha Flight because I was like, these guys are fun. Like, let's follow them out of the X-Men, which was, yeah. the, that was, it's a backdoor pilot, right? Like right. that's how, that's the point. I think because they're similarly dysfunctional to the X-Men, but I found that Burn didn't really nail the same balance that like Claremont was nailing at the time. You don't get as much of, alpha flights like civilian identities there's almost none of it no because they start off tied to the government and also burn really throws readers in the deep end like when i went back to read all of this i kept checking to make sure i hadn't missed things before now you start in media res before you get any backstory really. oh yeah but the backstories are constantly referenced so it feels mm-hmm. like you are missing big chunks of who these characters are that then get filled on over over you know two dozen issues the first issue opens with them divesting from the government before they eventually go back to the government and then, you know, divest from it again. It's like back and forth and back and forth, um, which, you know, begs the big question of North Star is that he was a separatist at the time. He was, he had yeah. been, uh, you know, a freedom fighter for the French territories in Canada, which we should probably like reserve <laughs> 10 minutes to talk about, not in the yeah. chronological moment. But the, the thing about the, the burn alpha flight that most shocked me when I went back is that I always expected, because uh, when, when does the book launch? 1983, 84, sometime around then. Alpha flight debuts in 83. 83. Which is four years, by the way, after the team debuts in X-Men 120. It's pre-Dark Phoenix. Right. And he was doing uh, Fantastic Four right before this, I think. This is after he's left X-Men. Yeah. That he does the alpha flight spinoff book when i had always read that burn intended north star to be gay from the jump i really expected what we would call now like queer coding mm-hmm. i thought it would be subtle it is not subtle. it's not subtle at all no it's very much there from the beginning very blatant to the extent where it's like your special friends wink wink or like yeah at one point um he so purple girl is the daughter of the purple man from Jessica Jones, if you watched that TV show. Yeah. He's that guy. <laughs> yeah, so she has the same powers as her father. She can order you to do anything. You know, she has a crush on North Star because his backstory, it well, his backstory is very convoluted, but... Because of his Olympic skiing career. Yes, he had been a, an Olympic skier. There's a question raised of whether he used his power to cheat. He absolutely cheated. He yeah. absolutely cheated. And he's shown in, in the original Alpha Flight to not really care. He, he's like, this is my gift. You know, why should this, why should I have to hide my gift? Why should I hold back? Right. Yeah. Which comes up in a couple of different ways. But Purple Girl has a crush on him. She's also said on panel to be 13. 13. Yeah, it gets weird, but th- that's a It gets Byrne really thing, fucking weird. I, no, yeah. this is Mantlo, though. Oh, that's right. But John Byrne is also weird about that. John Byrne is the weirdest about that. That's why I was shocked that yeah. Purple Girl wasn't. He makes a point to show that Heather uh, is in love with Guardian when she's 17 and he's established to be, you know, a decent amount older than her. Well, John Byrne also was the primary architect behind... We're not going to talk about the Sue Storm thing. (laughs) 
Well, uh, yeah, we are. No, Byrne was also the primary no, architect no. behind the Kitty and Pyotr thing, is my understanding. Oh, okay. He also, when he was writing Fantastic Four, established that Sue Storm met Reed Richards when he was in college and she was 12. Yeah, that, that one I don't fuck with. Uh, Peter and Kitty, I, I have the controversial opinion that it's not that big of a deal. They don't have sex, and he realizes that she's too young, and they break up. Sure, yeah. My issues with Kitty and Pyotr are actually not really from when they were dating. It's everything that happens... <laughs> After that, like in the 90s and stuff, when he's just kind of like an emotionally abusive shit. Yeah, you have a you few know? decades of, of weird stories yeah, to choose not from. great. Jean-Paul, purple girl, has a crush on him and persuades him uh, to like her back you know, very briefly. She, he doesn't, she doesn't go too far. Um, but later when Northstar recounts this to um, Vindicator, the, the woman who leads Alpha Flight, he's saying like, he says, and this is a quote, that it, it was akin to rape. And mm-hmm. Heather is like, and it was a girl, so you must have really hated that. Like, they just rag on him. And there's a weird, I don't know if like Byrne and Mantlo were concerned that the men would seem too homophobic because it ends up being the women, Heather and Aurora. It's the women who make the comments. Yeah. There's another comment, I think, in the Mantlo issues where Aurora says something to Jean Paul of like, you've never objected seeing a, a man in fancy uh mm-hmm. speedos before or something right like, that's the level of of uh hinting that is going on here like it's not coded it's not like his backstory also to go back to john burns obsession with young teenagers <laughs> having sexual relationships i mean when his backstory is revealed in alpha flight 10 you see that he's an orphan. Mm-hmm. He and Jean-Marie, his sister Aurora, are separated essentially at birth. They're babies when their parents are killed in a car accident. They then go to his mother's cousins, I think. Well, they get they get split up. They get split up. They yeah. can't afford to have both of them, so they send her to, to the horrible combat. Catholic boarding school, right? And he is the one that they take in. He doesn't even know he has a sister until they're adults. He finds out like in Alpha Flight Mm -hmm. because she's recruited to Alpha Flight first. And then I think it's James Hudson, Guardian, who sees Jean-Paul like on the Olympics and is like, wow, he looks just like Aurora. That's (laughs) weird. Right down to like the silvery black hair and the pointy ears, right? Which like, you know, that's real close. When he's like six, then his new parents also die Mm -hmm. in another car accident, I think. He's just not, he has bad luck with cars. (laughs) And then- That's why he flies everywhere. I know, right? Like why ever get in a car again? And then he is in foster care, which is like a charged place to put your gay character, I think. There's, I mean, they did that to Obsidian at DC also, is my recollection. He's abused- there they put that on panel but like who knows what's going on with Jean-Paul but he's a very angry young man Mm. for reasons that are not really disclosed and then he gets caught shoplifting by this guy Raymond Belmond who is like 40. Yeah so the first substantial story that Northstar and Aurora get in the pages of Alpha Flight and this is another way that like Alpha Flight is kind of the weird cousin to X-Men is that what we all love about these stories is the mix of superheroics and personal lives. Burn mm-hmm. was not as adept at mixing it as Claremont was, in my opinion. You know, yeah, I mean, no, I agree. Who, who, like, who am I to critique either of these guys? But uh, I think we can critique John Byrne. <laughs> 
Sure. On this show, we're allowed to critique John. But, uh, you know, Byrne was not quite as adept at it. So in the first 30-ish issues of Alpha Flight, what you see is characters kind of like flowing in and out. He's not, he doesn't balance it the same way that Claremont does. So you go through stretches where you don't really see members of the cast too much. But the first solo story that um, North Star and Aurora get involves Raymond. Yes. They stumble upon him in Montreal. Another funny thing about Alpha Flight particularly the Byrne run, is that I think John Byrne was trying very hard to represent as much of Canada as possible. Yes. So they are constantly, it's almost like a, a brochure at times where it's like, we're going to the Edmonton Mall. Some say it's the biggest, best mall <laughs> in the world. Can you believe it? But they are constantly flying across the whole continent. I mean, Canada is a big place. Very big yeah. and not that populous. So and like, they, usually, yeah. you know. And they're all based in different places. And before they get a jet, there's kind of a ridiculous amount of time dedicated to like, we need to assemble the team, fly across the continent to get the other members of the team. To pick everybody up. <laughs> right. Because yeah, it's, it's pretty like, absurd. Jean-Paul Jean-Marie are in Montreal right now. Who knows where the fuck Sasquatch is? I think he was usually in Edmonton or Saskatchewan. Yeah. And then, you know, Snowbirds up in Nunavut. Yeah, they kind of had to like split up where everyone was because I think he wanted to very accurately represent everyone. But if you imagine like the X-Men had to constantly be like, okay, Wolverine's in Arizona. We got to get him. And Storm's in Philly. We better stop. You know, like, right. Yeah. yeah, Without the gates, they just have to keep flying back. Right. They just have to keep flying their alpha jet around. Part of the whole deal is that Byrne was Canadian, as you've mentioned, and was really interested in the idea of Canadian superheroes. Like, Claremont didn't like Wolverine initially. He wanted to kill off Wolverine early in the run that they did together. And Byrne was like, you cannot kill the Canadian character. (laughs) <laughs> I refuse to allow you to do that. And so Wolverine stuck around and eventually became the biggest character in the franchise. Now nothing can kill him. <laughs> right. Yeah, he didn't even have a healing factor back then. What might have been if the Canadian hadn't, you know, insisted. The funny side effect of that is that the Canadian government is one of the most evil forces in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> It is astounding the depth to which if there's an evil government conspiracy in a Marvel comic, it's rarely the American government outside of Captain America, because Captain America is always dealing with like, because the whole point of him is I'm the America that should be, not the America that is. So he's always like fighting the secret empire or Hydra infiltrate shield or whatever. But Otherwise, particularly in the X-Men, it's always Department H doing unbelievably evil shit, like funding (laughs) Weapon X, all of that stuff. But even the initial leader of Alpha Flight, uh, Jimmy Hudson, or James Hudson, rather, if you have never read Alpha Flight, you That guy sucks. Yeah, well, you might be shocked. He dies in the 12th issue, I think. Mm -hmm. And a few issues later, Heather starts his wife, his his widow. Formerly his secretary, who was 17, because it's a John Byrne book. um, Starts to speculate that he was the one behind manipulating Wolverine into yes. becoming Weapon X. He uh, very or, or clearly was. I mean, I, I feel like since then it's it's been complicated. Out They've because, downplayed it, yeah. but I, I think in those initial stories, it's very clear that he is a bad guy who was involved in all of that. And, you know, Spencer Ackerman pointed out that the Gene and Scott and Logan triad that's implied now 
it really goes back to the Jimmy and Logan and Heather triad in Alpha Flight. Oh, yeah. They find him amnesiac in the wilderness or whatever and take him in. But not just that. They find him on their honeymoon. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a lot. It's yeah. a lot. And then he like lives with them in their house and they're all like, it's a vibe. They find him on their honeymoon. And then James Hudson is like, I'm the only one who can ski out of here fast enough to get help. Heather, you stay here with the feral naked man that we found in the woods. And that's her honeymoon. Sit here with this feral nude man with claws. Yeah, I think even without the claws, that would have been a thing that you probably wouldn't want to do. Um, But James forces that on her right away. Yeah, and he grooms him right into the arms of Weapon X. But there's a suggestion kind of as Alpha Flight goes along and this gets fleshed out. um, They they eventually did, Scott Lobdell wrote uh, a one shot that introduces like a pre-Alpha Flight team that only appears for one issue. But it's almost like a, a Doom Patrol-ish scenario of James Hudson kind of knowingly assembling damaged people and people that he feels that he can like manipulate and put in the right spot. But they don't ever really know how to navigate the fact that obviously that makes James Hudson look like a horrible person. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he is Canada's Captain America. He's also very abusive to Heather in all of this. Like, not physically, but right. I just mean like he's just like a really... He's just such an asshole. Yeah, it's very weird dynamic. It's a bad marriage. Yeah. And we could talk, you know, forever about Alpha Flight. About them, right. Yeah, we're not here to talk about them. Come back sometime for a Guardian and Vindicator episode. (laughs) So Jean-Paul, the first spotlight, I think it ends up being two issues. The first spotlight, he and Aurora really get an Alpha Flight. They're in Montreal and they stumble across his old friend, Raymond, um, who... In the initial, so it, it's since been retconned that he was more of like a father figure. When you get to the yeah, North Star solo true. series, no, in the initial <laughs> book, what is clearly implied is that he was an, an older lover who also kind of took North Star under his wing. Yeah, it's very like Pasolini. It's one of those things. It's like this older guy who likes boys and takes him in. Yeah, his age is never set. Uh, he's clearly not. It's like the gay version of the John Byrne thing. I mean, it's very consistent. This is the thing that he does. It's also very in keeping, I would say, with ideas that were still very current in the 70s and 80s about gay men. You know, older gay men initiated young men into the mysteries, essentially. Like, it's that trope. I I think I had a less negative read on it because... His age is not stated on panel, and it's not. We just know that he's young, which I took to mean, you know, 18, 19, whatever. But especially if we're talking about the, it's supposed to be the 70s at the time, there is a part of the culture that because we don't, you know, as gay men, we don't get sex education. We don't right. get normalized discussions about what it means to be, you know, an active homosexual or however you want to phrase it. Right. A practicing homosexual. Yeah. So there is kind of this like, these mentorship bonds. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that if we do accept that he's, let's say, 17, 18, yeah. which I'm happy to do. I'm just saying, I don't think that in the John Byrne story he is. <laughs> but if we accept that, which I'm fine with, I don't actually have a problem with this story about an 18-year-old boy who's kind of on the streets who this older guy takes in because that's half the gay literature of the 20th century right like yeah you can see where he would get that it's a rent boy thing yeah it's a hustler it's the joe d'alessandro kind of warhol superstar thing and there's no implication that north star was working as a sex worker but I certainly read that into yeah, the scenario. Yeah, me too. 
that's how I read it. But it's, you know, it's portrayed very positively. I, I'm just going to work off the assumption that North Star was 17 or 18 at the time. Sure, let's go with it. Yeah. And honestly, like, the relationship between them seems very positive. So yes. it's not portrayed as, that's the thing. Like, it is a very tropey, gay, sort of a little seedy vibe to it. But the relationship is portrayed very positively. And maybe, yes. again, that's because John Byrne was into age gap relationships. But... <laughs> When you meet Raymond again, and what's actually that's very interesting is when they meet him again in the solo story you're talking about where it's North Star and Aurora on their own adventure, it turns out that Raymond has a daughter who he never knew about. That I found to be an interesting plot because that's also like a tropey plot about gay men of that generation mm -hmm. in fiction, right? Like, oh, back when I was closeted, I had this child, I don't, and then the child turns up, but the parent is gay, like, ah, oh, and that's the comedy <laughs> or whatever, you know what right. I mean? Like, that is a thing that you would get. Sure. And there's still, you know, people who are older who, you know, they may live a certain way and then they come out later in life. So it's Absolutely. not something that's gone away, but right, it, right. it's also used to, that's one of the ways that Byrne kind of makes it known what's going on, because first off, Aurora tells Raymond, like, oh, my brother's told me so much about you. And he's like, really? He, he yeah. <laughs> that surprises me, right? Yeah. And then when Raymond uh, says, oh, this is my daughter, Jean Paul's like, your daughter, da your right. biological daughter? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> he's like, that's like, did you a... adopt her? Right. Or, and he's like, oh, no. And, and Jean Paul's like, interesting. <laughs> so that's kind of the immediate comedy of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, and North Star makes it, so uh, unfortunately Raymond immediately dies. <laughs> immediately in that issue is murdered. Yeah. I mean like the very next scene um, by a guy whose power is to touch you and kill you. It's not worth getting into him. No, don't worry about it, but he has the same power as Dazzler's sister you don't need to worry about, but you should. She's fun. Yeah, so Deadly Ernest is like a mob boss. He touches Raymond and uh, he dies, but as North Star stands there kind of lamenting him, you do get this very fondly remembered flashback where Jean Paul makes it known that, you know, he, Raymond helped him become less insecure about his mutant power, and it's implied about more than that. Yes. Things about myself. Like, it's yeah. not, the language is not say vague. it, yeah. but it's, it's not hidden really at all. Right. And then he joins the circus and becomes a trapeze artist. It's like very, like, that's like next page. It's like he saw more than just a petty thief of a boy. It's like he taught me to love myself. And then suddenly he's flipping around on a trapeze. It's like very, okay, we get it. There's a universe where North Star is a Dick Grayson level hero, I think. Yeah. Because they share a weird amount of backstory. Yeah, they are orphans who joined the circus. I mean, well, Dick was in the circus already, but you get what I mean. They're yeah. like acrobat orphans who are pretty gay. <laughs> <laughs> and especially when once you get to North Star's solo series, which we should save uh, for a chronological discussion, yeah. but it, there really is this kind of like globe-trotting hero that we never got for various reasons. But yes, so the first time they get kind of their solo adventure, it makes it clear that Jean-Paul had an older man who kind of helped teach him the ways of the world. It's strongly implied that they were probably lovers uh, that then grew into more of a mentorship. Yeah, and that he was, as a young man, like, kept. Like, whether sure. or not you think he was working as a sex worker before that, I mean, it, it comes across very much, like, mysterious skin hustler type stuff. Yes. And I'm I'm a sucker for those kind of storylines. I am, too, and I, I yeah. think it's cool. Like, I'm a big Stacey X fan. <laughs> I think there should be more mutants who are in sex work because, quite honestly, it's an industry that a lot of minority people end up in because they don't have other resources. Right. So I think that it's a fruitful potential area for the metaphor. 
fruit. Fruit, yeah, fruity. <laughs> it's a fruity area for the metaphor. I actually think it would be cool to have Jean-Paul and Stacy talk about it and maybe make this textual. Like that would be a neat thing to do. Yeah, but the one, the unfortunate thing about Raymond, because so I think that's interesting. Uh, the solo series, which was written by Simon Furman and came out after North Star is coming out, uh, it does end up reworking the relationship to be a more straightforward, like Raymond kind of took him in as a, a father figure. Yeah, I just disregard that. That's not part of my canon. <laughs> no, but to me, it feels like censorship, if I'm being honest. I don't like that. Beat. Yeah, I don't love that either. It just feels to me like they're like, ooh, this is a little too risque, yeah. you know? And I don't like that at all. I like messy stories. I like complicated stories. You know, I don't I don't like every time that John Byrne <laughs> did a messy sure, story. Sure, but, but I think that North Star in everything post-Burn is so desexualized that that is something I'm kind of sad to lose. Yeah. And that is feels like yet another moment there where it's like, oh, the one lover of his we've ever met, by the way, like, don't worry, they were platonic. You're right. like, what are you doing? You and know? Burn, it really did seem like Burn wanted to add a little bit of a sexual edge to North Star because there's another scene. Uh, so North Star quits Alpha Flight like 50 times. The first time is because of Raymond's death because yeah. Deadly Earnest kidnaps Aurora mm -hmm. because he thinks Aurora is Raymond's daughter. And then it turns out that Raymond's daughter was in on the whole thing. Don't worry about it. It truly does not <laughs> matter. But... North Star, here's the thing about North Star. He's an asshole. Yes. So he makes these like comments very casually, particularly about women that are, you know, very dismissive and misogynistic. He really disapproves of Aurora's relationship with Sasquatch because he thinks it's disgusting because Sasquatch turns into a Sasquatch. <laughs> so when she escapes, he's like, oh, I just assumed you romanced your way out. He says he just assumed she fucked the guy right. and he let her go. And she's so offended by that that she actually, like, cuts him off. She's like, you're dead to me. She goes to such an extreme that she has Walter Sasquatch, like, genetically alter her so that she could use the light power without him. Yeah, but also she gives as good as she gets because when he says something about, like, you know, I just assumed you, you know, fucked your way out of this situation, she's like, you of all people are going to judge right are going to judge men. my sexuality yeah. right yeah so that's why i say like both john byrne and bill mantlo uh really seem to like give all the kind of cutting slightly homophobic lines to the women yeah well and purple girl also she doesn't mean to do it but she's the one who violates his personal like it's never yeah. a man doing something aggressive to him it's always a woman making a catty comment or violating his consent because she doesn't know he's gay. Like, yeah, it's that. the only the only male comment, and I can't remember now if it's Burn or Mantlow, but uh, Guardian, it's like a little flashback to him first uh, trying to recruit Northstar mm -hmm. at a ski meet, and Guardian's like, you know, you have everything: money, fame, women. Although you don't seem very interested in the women. Must be your sports drive. Anyway, come work for us. And it's like, he can't pick up on it. And all the women are like, okay, you annoying faggot. Let me bring right. you down a peg. <laughs> like, that's the tenor of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, like, Aurora basically gives him, like, a shut up fag, like, yeah. 20 times. But it's not, it's, like, not, that's, because it's, it's an interesting relationship. Because, again, they don't meet each other until they're adults. But they're twins, and they look so much alike. So it's this very weird thing. He even says, he's like, it's like looking in a mirror. It's yeah. very weird. It's like me as a girl. And if you're a gay man who's in the closet and conflicted about it, that's a weird experience, right? right. Is like looking at this woman who looks just like you and watching her 
have all these romantic relationships with men out in public is like a very weird thing. But also Aurora is, of course, this very complicated character because she has a split personality, which, you know, the medical science of Aurora <laughs> is not, it's like Legion. It hasn't aged well at all. No, but no. The way that Aurora works is she has two personalities. Aurora, who is this outgoing, kind of slutty, fun, good time girl. And Jean-Marie, who is like the buttoned up girl from the convent who's disgusted by sex. Pretty disgusted by North Star, actually, which I think is interesting. Except when Aurora rejects him because he slut shamed her. It's Jean-Marie who seeks him out for help. And he's like, Aurora, what are you doing here? And she's like, it's Jean-Marie. <laughs> Jean-Marie's not conscious of Aurora. Is she? I don't really remember how it works. Uh, no, she doesn't seem very conscious of it at first. The, here's the thing. So we should talk about Aurora in a little contained pocket. Because my thesis statement for Northstar is that the two biggest challenges for him as a character is that he spent the first half of his existence tied to his sister, and he has spent the second half tied to his husband, yep. who I like. Do you? Yes, and we'll get to it. I'm very excited to talk about Kyle. Okay, good. I'm glad you are. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you are, because I have never been able to muster excitement about that relationship. Sure. As a, a writer, as a fan, as a reader, as everything, I think from a storytelling aspect, Northstar has probably suffered from having his story so closely tied to these two characters. And you see it. So yes, Aurora, she has the split personality. It's not handled with any tact or grace, even for the era. Right. It has not aged well. I think it, it, it I think it's eventually the, the Fred Van Linty and Greg Pak series makes it explicit that it emerged because of sexual abuse. Yeah, which is usually my understanding medically. That is a more accurate way to write yeah. dissociative identity. It's like it usually, it doesn't necessarily have to be sexual, but they're usually born out of trauma is yeah. my understanding. But of course in the 80s and the 90s. Some doctors don't even think it, like some doctors argue that there's no such thing. Right, yeah. And that it's a psychosomatic condition. So it's all very, very complicated. And quite frankly, superhero comics are not really the place to, exactly. to delve into complex mental health. And I'm yeah. certainly not qualified. I'm not qualified to talk about that. I mean, I, I have great affection for Aurora. But what you see as you read Alpha Flight chronologically is that Byrne had interesting ideas for the two of them. But both he and the uh, subsequent writers get stuck in this cycle where... Northstar's entire goal, because Byrne made it clear early on that he's gay, but Jim Shooter, then EIC of, of Marvel Comics, would not allow a character to be labeled gay on page. No gay characters existed in the Marvel Universe. Except for the guys who tried to rape the Except Hulk for the guys who tried to rape the, the Hulk shower. in yeah. the story that Shooter himself wrote. Wrote, yes. So the problem with Northstar then becomes he, his own motivation, his own personality or whatever, is that he is a homosexual. John Byrne has made that clear. However, you can't go down that road for a right. very long time. So the road he keeps going down is that he is very concerned about his sister to a condescending level at times, but uh, his story just keeps revolving around Aurora. The problem then is that Aurora has this cycle of getting cured and going back and getting cured right. and going back. And this really never stops. Like No, they're always fixing her mental illness. They're like, yes. she's not schizophrenic anymore, which like, first of all, it's not how schizophrenia works. No, yeah. Right? I mean, it's it's horrible if you take it. They're always just like, oh, she's her personalities have been integrated or whatever. Yeah. But then they'll split apart again. Right. And also it all revolves around her relationship with Walter. Because, I mean, the way I read it is like, thou doth protest too much, right? Like, North Star is attracted to Walter also. 
and is judgmental of the relationship for multiple reasons. Like he's initially repulsive. He's like a Sasquatch, you know, but then <laughs> he's also kind of attracted to Walter when Walter's not a Sasquatch, is jealous that Aurora is with Walter. Then there's, of course, the truly wild Mantlo plot where Sasquatch becomes a woman. Yes. Because he gets put in the dead snowbird's body right. and starts calling himself Wanda and immediately becomes attracted to men because the minute you're a woman, <laughs> you have to be attracted to men. It's kind of like adorable and amazing uh, how much he takes, how much Walter, the character, takes in stride waking up as Wanda versus like, you know, it's the struggles that Aurora and Northstar and other characters are going through perpetually. Mantlo introduces like so much pathos to um, Puck. Yeah. I mean, Puck is a lot to get into. Also like problematic, but yeah. yeah. All these characters are kind of constantly fretting over things. And Walter wakes up in in North, uh, Snowbird's dead body. And he's like, wow, this is crazy. I'm going to wear a red bikini and I'm going to go about my life. Guess I'm a girl now. I want a boyfriend. Yeah, it's kind of like adorably uh, quaint. Yeah. And then there's the whole plot where Walter's ex-wife, who thinks that she's Walter's widow, shows up. They they like can't. It's like a farce where they have to pretend that Wanda isn't Walter. It's a, that's a, that's a, that's a Alpha Flight's weird, guys. Yes. It's a really weird book. But so that that dovetails with like what I want to do for North Star's sake is like let let's bottle up aurora as much as possible and set, right. her, set her to the side and talk about north star because he has had this history of being tied to her and no offense at all to her but well it's because he wasn't allowed to have his own personal plot exactly. so he had to be invested only in hers he could not have a romance therefore he can only be kind of um uh patronize her he's the complication in her romantic yeah. plot. So that's the cycle that he gets stuck in, even in the burn issues, because I, so John Byrne has said before, like he thought he would maybe get 12 issues out of these characters. He didn't find them particularly interesting at first. He ended up going to 28 or 29 and he does, you know, kind of compelling things with them. He also introduces a shit ton of characters almost yeah. off the bat. It's like, okay, here's Alpha Flight. They have two backup teams. Now there's an evil team. Right. Cause there's a beta flight. There's a gamma flight. flight there's Omega all of flight, these different. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's cool. It's certainly very additive. Um, it's Claremonty. I mean, you yeah. can see how they did work well together in the 70s because it's much like Claremont who just throws a million characters at the wall in like every issue. Yes, they're not precious with their ideas. And that's there's a lot to admire about that. Um, but Northstar ends up a little lost. And so once um, he hands off the book, John Byrne hands it off to Bill Mantlo and a very young Mike Vignola at first, mm -hmm. uh, which is fascinating because you can kind of see in the compositions. Yeah, like it, the style is very different, but yeah. you, if you once you know like I would never think it looking at it, but no, once but you if you know me, what I'm to like, look for. Oh, like yeah, you can yeah. see like the barest kernel of Hellboy in there somewhere. Yeah, it's you know not I mean? in the the line work and he wasn't inking himself at the time, but you can see it in some of the compositions. It's in the movement, it's in the way that the characters sit and yes. stuff, you know, it's like He has a very particular style of movement and and composition and it's fascinating. He doesn't stay on it very long. Uh, I think Dave Ross ends up having kind of the longest run with Bill Mantlo um, before Northstar encounters a character called Pestilence. So the next yes. real development with Northstar and again in in trying to like derail Jean Paul's story as little as possible. There's a plot by which an old man has frozen himself under the Arctic ice and 
I guess has learned magic along the way. He ends up being reborn through uh, Snowbird's half goddess, or I guess a quarter goddess at that yeah, point. Yeah, because she's a half goddess. Quarter god baby. Uh-huh. Grows to full size immediately. He has powers over the forces of death. It immediately blows up very large scale because the great beasts that they're always fighting, these like embodiments of the North. The beasts of Tanarak or whatever. Yeah. yeah. All embody death in some way so suddenly this man pestilence can't no relation to the four horsemen of apocalypse no relation to plague from apocalypse's crew yeah can control or strongly influence the great beasts during this fight he's six different versions of of death and decay on each member of alpha flight and on north star it is said that he accelerates a disease already present in his body yes what then proceeds to happen is north star gets a persistent cough mm-hmm. for maybe 10 issues at that point. Um, and it is said at one point that it is not cancer. It's made clear it's not cancer. Right. Bill Mantlow wanted Northstar to have AIDS. To have AIDS, AIDS, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't say that maliciously. You know, if you're a straight man in the mid-80s. No, it would have been a very powerful, important story to tell if, you know, like that's what you're thinking, right? You're like, yes. I want... You know, I mean, when Fabian Niciesa, who ended up also writing North Star, was on this show, he talked about how he tried to do an HIV storyline in Nomad because it felt important and no yeah. one would let them do it. I'm glad they didn't do it. Yes, like, I'm, this I'm is a case where I'm glad Shooter said no. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, like, I mean, the, the odd thing is Jim Shooter's homophobia saved North Star's life. Saved the day yeah. here, right, yeah. I know I just said I don't want to derail North Star's story, but I also want to get into one of my big philosophies about superhero storytelling, which is that you have to be careful about, about which questions you ask. Uh, and what I mean when I say that is like, take uh, the Wonder Woman movies, for instance. Mm-hmm. When you present the first movie as being in World War One and she has intervened, because she cares for humanity. Then why does the Holocaust happen? Then why does the Holocaust happen? And, you know, obviously I'm not the first person to ask that, but that is a a challenging question that you just don't want to raise. And I think that's one of the reasons the DC universe as a whole does not end up commenting on real world events very often because their main characters have like a a God level ability to do things. Superman could fix it if he wanted to. Right. So you don't want to raise the question of why aren't you fixing it? You have to be very careful about that. And I think especially over the last 20 years, as we've gone through like cycles of fallout of wanting superheroes to be mature in different ways, and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm making air quotes, you can't hear that in my voice, but we've, we've had these stories where we ask these questions of like, well, Superman can be anywhere in the world, why is there any conflict? Why is there a war on the other side? Why has anyone been assaulted or raped or killed, whatever? And the real answer is you can't ask that question. Right, because it destroys the genre. It just, yeah, it breaks the fabric of the genre because you have to want to read these characters the next week. And obviously the, the real answer is either because things just don't work that way in this universe or because he chooses not to. If the answer is he chooses not to, you've broken the character and you don't have a hero anymore you have this weird god being so you just can't do that it's like that famous spider-man panel which is my father's favorite panel ever in a post-1990 comic where sauron is astride a triceratops <laughs> and spider-man says you know he and sauron has turned this it, it was a human that has yes. now been turned into a triceratops 
And Spider-Man says, but with this science and technology, you could cure cancer. And Sauron says, but I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. And that works for Sauron. Yes, like, that's, that's fine. brilliant. Yeah. But by contrast, when it was established that Wakanda had a cure for cancer that it refused to share with the rest of the world, that was a huge problem to the point where they did a whole storyline retconning it where Monica Lynn dies of cancer and T'Challa can't do anything about it because... They were like, no, no, no. I forget who wrote that initial story, but they were like, we got to undo that real quick because yeah. that makes them all evil. Exactly. So you have to be very careful about the questions you you ask. And Spider-Man's another great example of this when they retconned his marriage with Mary Jane. <sighs> you know, you have this situation where, because uh, what, it's Aunt May's life is endangered and he goes right. to like every authority in the Marvel universe and it's like, oh, well, you know, well, we, we can fight elder gods of the universe, but I got nothing for you, grandma. You know, it's like, and that you can't really assess that because it's a question that we've all agreed not to ask. So the way that flows back into North Star is that if you have this character get AIDS in the mid 80s at a time when it is effectively a death sentence because of yeah. political non-action, uh, lack of medical research, you're left with a scenario where you kill off a gay character that you have to keep dead. Right. Because now it's important. Right. Now it's an important death. And you cheapen the reality of HIV and AIDS if he comes back magically or if he avoids dying of it magically. This is what happened to Extraño, actually, to go back. Oh, sure. He had like an AIDS vampire. He right? was given AIDS by the Hemogoblin, yeah. an AIDS vampire. I'm not making this up. Google it. <laughs> It was him and the black woman on the team were attacked by the AIDS vampire. It's unsubtle. But, you know, they killed him off a different way so that he didn't die of AIDS. And then right. when you bring him back, you just don't do that. And I think, you know, there are probably good intentions behind a lot of these things. I think so, but yeah. woof. I'm not assigning Bill Mantlo any um, maliciousness because, again, in 1985, 86, whatever. Even caring about AIDS was progressive at that time. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, But so what happens, it's made pretty clear that he's suffering from HIV. And uh, at, you know, at the time, it's effectively a death sentence. Then you get to issue 50. And somewhere uh, behind the scenes, Bill Mantlo was told, like, nope, we got to cut this. Like, this cannot yeah. happen. So their creative solution, which actually is fairly Iconic. creative. Yeah. Iconic. It, again, it is camp is to have Loki, who had previously factored into the X-Men Alpha Flight crossover. We'll go back to that because that's important because this is an X-Men podcast, but yeah. <laughs> continue with what we're talking about right now. Well, so in issue 50 of Alpha Flight, uh, he tells Northstar that he is sick because uh, you mentioned earlier Aurora got her powers mucked with and they have upset their fairy balance because- Because they're half fairy. They're half fairy. So they reveal- and there's a whole extra level of comedy to it because, of course, fairy is a common insult to gay men. Right. No, that's the clear. Clearly, the point is Mantlo didn't get to do the plot that was going to out North Star, which right. is going to be the AIDS plot. So instead, he makes a plot where Loki reveals that North Star is a fairy. But North Star and Aurora were already established to have pointy ears. So yeah, they've had pointy ears from the beginning. This amazing level of camp because, uh, you know. Lord knows if Mantlo intended the fairy double on top. Oh, I think he absolutely did. I kind of think he didn't, and I love that. Oh, I think he did. I think it's a joke, and I think it's actually very funny. It's very funny <laughs> either way, but we see this flashback that North Star and Aurora's father... Bill Mantlo, if you're listening, talk to me. <laughs> ...stumbles on um, 
this this little fairy house and and goes to capture a fairy because he wants proof of it and again this all happens in one issue so it's it's like 10 issues of build-up and then all of a sudden it's like loki i'm appearing i'm telling you you're a fairy here's your father meeting a fairy getting married to a fairy having fairy babies then the fairies get pissed kill your mom and dad and now you are imbalanced in the real world because you must connect again to uh, your fairy homeland, the light fairy realm of um, Asgard, which, whichever one that I can't pronounce any of it. Alfheim or whatever. Yeah. yeah, Alfheim, I think. So they go through this portal again. First, all of Alpha Flight travels to the place where they had their crossover with the X-Men and they try to open this gate, but Loki's tricking them the whole time. And to, to like a, a very comical extent, like the gate shows something positive, they go through it, then it all shifts to like demons. Um, but on the other side, they get separated, there's dust up, whatever. It ends with Aurora and Puck getting stuck in this cavern. And this is another example of like the bizarre callousness of Alpha Flight that Vindicator for maybe the 10th time in the series is like, I have to make a hard choice. We're leaving our team behind. We gotta go. I'm gonna let them all die. She does, she it, does all it a the time. lot. She does it a bizarre amount of times. Heather loves to leave Alpha Flight behind to die. She does yeah. it at least five or six times. It's her leadership strategy, really. It's a novel strategy. Yeah. To just let them all die. <laughs> the post Chaos War um, Alpha Flight series, the Fred Van Linty, Greg Pack, um, Dale Eaglesham one. After they all get brought back from the dead because yeah. they got killed off in the decimation. Heather makes some choices in that series. And I remember at the time thinking like, this kind of feels like character assassination. Then you go back and read it. And it's like, oh no, this has been, this oh, has actually, been Heather Heather's just a terrible person. <laughs> She's an awful <laughs> leader. Um, so Aurora and Puck get stuck in this cavern and then Northstar goes up into the heavens to this fairy door that opens. And he's like, I will be with my people. Like Poochie ascending to his home planet. Exactly. And then he disappears for 30 issues. He is yeah. gone for 30 issues. Well, I think Mantlo hadn't planned anything to do with him because he was going to die. Yeah. And then also, I think he was frustrated that he didn't get to do his AIDS plot. So he was like, well, you know what? I'm writing him out. Like, I think that is part of what happened there. But it's kind of amazing that Jim Shooter's homophobia ended up preserving. Sure did. And saving the life of one of the best gay characters in comics, or at least one of the most interesting or most uh, important prominent. Gay characters in comics. Yeah. One of those prominent. I'm also very impressed that when he comes back, I think it's like issue 83, 84, uh, there's this short uh, quest for North Star, and it just opens with him being like, oh, fuck Loki, he made all of that up. Like, they don't even try. It's a complete lie. Like, yeah. none of it was true, yeah. They don't even really attempt to, like, massage it. It just opens with, like, well, he is the god of lies. It's just literally an on-panel, don't worry about it. Yeah. Let that go. And it's great. It's great. Because that's really all you really want them to do with, like, a fairy storyline. Well, it's funny because I, I, I think now, actually, if they had kept it, I mean, Megan is getting to reconnect with her other world ancestry. And, it, like, you could do it now because other worlds gotten big. Though, of course, if they're Asgardian Alfheim fairies, it's a different species, probably, right? Yeah. I also have a general stance of like the less you complicate mutants when it comes to like the source of their powers usually the better like you've sure. been handed the x gene which right. is like the greatest you know catch-all in, in comic history 
why why introduce elves with <laughs> megan she was just already too magical like her right. powers didn't really make sense so it's fine to just be like oh her, the shape-shifting is her mutant power and everything else is magic like, sure well, that works for me and when it comes to like mixing magic and other things bill mantlow is no the original writer you know so right. it's like a yeah, little yeah, yeah. a little different uh no insult to mr mantlow i want to jump Back to X-Men Alpha Flight, though, briefly, while we're talking about Loki and the fairies of it all, right? Because yeah. that is where Asgard first steps in. This is, for a moment with Maddie, the miniseries where we find out that Madeline Pryor is pregnant with baby Nathan, although he's never named. This is why you jump back to it. I, I'm thinking in my head, I was like, you know what? That wasn't that big of a deal for Alpha Flight. Oh, it's got Madeline Pryor. It's a big deal for Madeline Pryor, who is empowered by Loki and becomes the magical healer Anodyne and grows to be like six feet tall. And it's all, it's brief, but it is an important moment for Maddie Pryor. However, also, there's a really important moment, I would say, in the history of North Star's gay deal, which is when Rogue accidentally absorbs all his memories and thoughts. And she's like, I know all his secrets now. <laughs> And that's the way she phrases it. She's like, right. I know all his secrets now. That's what she says. Then when she needs to, when she loses her power through like Loki's malfeasance or whatever, and she wants to test it, he volunteers. Mm -hmm. He's like, you, and she kisses him. It's the funniest panel. She kisses him and goes, I'm touching him and nothing's happening. <laughs> and like, it's a double meaning, right? Layers. Because <laughs> yeah, it's like nothing's happening down south because he's not into this kiss, right. right? Like that's the joke. But also it's it's an intimate kind of moment and they have this weird bond afterward because he feels clearly very comfortable with her because she knows he's gay. Like that's the, it's like he, and it's not like, I mean, the problem with North Star as a closeted character is that in the real world, even in the mid 80s, if you met that guy, that guy's gay. <laughs> it's not like it's not, you know, he's not subtle about right. it. But if we're going to assume, because we have to in the story logic that he was in the closet, then this is clearly a very liberating moment for him because he doesn't have to tell Rogue anything. She just knows now. She knows all about Raymond. She knows right. about the Quebecois terrorism. She knows <laughs> about everything bad that he ever did. She knows about him cheating at the Olympics. Right. So, you know, like, suddenly it's that. And I actually think it's also an important moment for Rogue because it's a moment where, I mean, first of all, again, she was raised by a lesbian couple. So Rogue is often used as sort of the character. She's used in the same way with Bobby by Lobdell in the 90s she's this character who helps these closeted men sort of like deal with their shit because she gets it like there's sort yeah. of a, like uh-huh you don't gotta say nothing sugar i know i'm picking up what you're putting down <laughs> fairy prince of asgard like she, you know she gets it yeah so i just wanted to go back to that because i do love that that little moment with them and i it's one of the first times I really remember encountering North Star at length because I, as I was reading X-Men, I wasn't reading Alpha Flight and it's sure. sort of two-part crossover. Yeah. And actually, I mean, so one of the refreshing things about the way North Star is portrayed in the John Byrne run, if, I mean, if you go so far as to call it refreshing, is that since he presumably knew he was not going to get the, the coming out story, there's no closeted tension presented. I, right. I definitely read it as like, Okay, we all know. He's out and no one talks about it, is yeah. the vibe in the burn stories, for sure. Because Aurora is always making bitchy comments about sure, it. Sure, yeah, like, and, and so does Heather. And so, so it's either, Heather. like, you know, like, the women pick up on it, or you're just too uh, naive to really put two and two together. But it's never a 
tortured thing. And, and in fact, North Star never gets that story. In my like dark James Hudson interpretation, you can read that scene where he's recruiting North Star and says, women, though you don't seem very interested in that, <laughs> as a threat rather than James being oblivious. You yeah. can read it as him saying, I've figured you out and I could go to the press or you could join Alpha Flight. Like, sure. That is a way you could read it. I'm not saying that's the intent or that's how we should read it, but right. I'm suspicious of that one because I'm sorry, he's... You know that guy's gay. I I took it as James being completely oblivious. <laughs> but like, I also think James was fucking Wolverine. So I'm not like, you know, so like, I don't think he's that Or at that least oblivious. in some sort of like a... Or at least watching Heather yeah, fuck Wolverine. Say, you know, some like, like something's going on. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of refreshing in a way that North Star doesn't get the tortured coming out story. Because especially if you're a gay man of like our age, you've yeah. read that story so many We've times. We've been there, done that. Yeah. There's validity to it. There's always going to be validity to that kind of coming out. But there was a period in gay literature and, and media where that's kind of all you could get. Was it was like, only ever after school special, tortured yeah. gay or like gay suicide or like right. one of the, it was always. So I got over that, that pretty early as a kid. So reading North Star goes from like if you've got eyes you know to like i'm just saying it and if you say anything i'll punch you like right. th th you know that's aspirational <laughs> yeah but yeah so they they do they go to that area to seek out anodyne but she is of course not there loki fucks with them he goes away to the fairy realm then he comes back the run that follows that doesn't delve into the um implied homosexuality very much for a while so he comes back in the 80s but there's not a lot that goes on to hint at the way that john byrne did in his run and then like you said fabian writes him for a little while and then scott liddell comes on the book fabian definitely i think brings it back i think it's it's there it's not as there's not as many like jokes about yeah. it but fabian does introduce the carrie patrick character who as it is now noted on the marvel wiki because some listener to this podcast edited <laughs> the page fabian revealed on this podcast that his intention was that carrie was north star's boyfriend and he was going to just have north star go home one day and find carrie making dinner and kiss him on the cheek and it was going to be very normal Sure. And it was just going to be, that's the reveal. Is like, he lives with this man who's a character you've already met and you didn't know they were a couple and you didn't know that this man was gay, but he is, he's North Star's lover and they live together and North Star is officially gay and we're just moving on with our lives. Like that was the plan in the right. early 90s. Which to be clear, never comes to pass. <laughs> never happens. No, Carrie Patrick has never been seen again. Yeah. God love him. He should He should pop up. That would complicate the marriage. That Do something. Marriage. Make a plot. <laughs> there was a funny moment in the burn run. One of the times when, when Northstar has quit and they call him and he's like in a pool and this very handsome man in a Speedo answers the phone and is like, oh, yes. Jean-Paul's busy. <laughs> like, yeah. Is Jean-Paul's not here right now? Yeah. <laughs> But that's the closest that you get to like an on-screen or on-panel, you know, quote-unquote romance for John Paul until his husband, which is yes. one of the most galling things. But we'll get to that. So it's why I hate it. But we'll, you know, we'll get there. Alpha Flight 106 is the coming out issue, right? Yes, the Scott Lobdell issue. He got permission to do it yeah. finally. I definitely encourage anyone who hasn't read Alpha Flight 106 to read it because it is completely standalone. You don't need any knowledge going in. But the, the unfortunate thing is it's also completely standalone because they never really acknowledge it again. Because <laughs> he literally never talks about being gay again. Well, so we should talk about 
that issue. Yeah. 106, which has the famous cover of, of North Star, you know, screaming. I am gay is the panel yeah. that Fabian said was not his favorite. That is, um, it's very funny. March 92. The, I can't remember the artist's name, um, but he is certainly like a, a Liefeld disciple. You know, he, he fits that extreme exaggerated early nineties style. It's Mark Pasella. There we go. So he, you know, he has, he isn't really seen from um, after the nineties too much. I actually, it could be Pacella. I have no idea. No respect to him, regardless. But I do not know. Um, <laughs> he penciled twenty six Marvel comics total per the Marvel Wiki. So yeah, gotcha. a brief, brief tenure. It's a very bizarre fit for Alpha Flight. So the thing about the 90s style, as much as I've come to love it for what it is, is that it doesn't fit every book. And when you have Alpha Flight, at the time, they all have matching red and white uniforms that look like Olympic skiers more than anything else. With like a maple leaf on it. They're all uh, ripped. And North Star, instead of being like this sort of like leaf swimmer's body, is like jacked. But I'm going to fully admit when I read this issue again, I did tear up and as heavy handed as it is, I think there's genuine emotion to it and a, and a real tangible point to it. I actually think that the writing of the issue is pretty good. Yes. The problem with the issue is fully the art and the composition of the story and the way that like just the insane Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee vibe of everything that's happening while we're trying to tell this story full of pathos about being gay and about HIV. Yes. Never has 90s visual style contrasted worse (laughs) with actual written subject matter than Alpha Flight 106. It reads bizarrely. Like it's it's a bizarre relic of that peak early all the image guys just left and we're trying to hire people to ape that style but they're not as good as those actual guys yeah it's fully wild i mean it, it, it's what makes it camp because yes. it's this hyper masculine crazy early 90s art style except he's saying all of these like soliloquies about being a homosexual and you're just kind of like hmm. yeah it's batshit but uh the, the issue itself i find very touching and i think scott labdell had really good intentions and actually pretty damn good execution for 1992 so north star during the course of another fight finds a baby left in a dumpster and takes an immediate protective relationship to the baby and takes it to the hospital where he unfortunately finds out the baby is hiv positive uh again you know at the time we didn't have the information or the medicine that we have today. So that was seen as a pretty immediate death sentence because of North Star's prominence as a superhero and as a former athlete, he brings a bunch of attention and awareness to the child. It's shown in newspaper headlines and everything that, you know, he's taking care of this baby. It's bringing awareness to um, HIV and AIDS and a character who I think appeared for the first time in that issue, Major Maple Leaf. <laughs> Major Maple Leaf is introduced as having been a World War II contemporary of all the patriotic heroes, you know, but of course Canadian. He watches this on the news and uh, he's also an extremely burly older man. So this is another situation mm-hmm. where like the art style is just doing this story no favors whatsoever. He's like a jacked senior citizen. Yeah. He, he crumples up the newspaper, he's furious. 
So what you're led to believe, of course, is that he has an issue with HIV and AIDS being highlighted at all. Mm -hmm. What you find out after he attacks the hospital and tries to kill the baby uh, and North Star flies him out of it and they proceed to have a fight in different buildings. Uh, I think they land in a grocery store or something. If you've seen Man of Steel, the way that like Superman and Zod just tear through Metropolis. Yes. Very that. But you find out that Major Maple Leaf is not a homophobe or um you know against hiv and aids uh, people awareness, awareness right yes, yeah <laughs> he's that, against it but yeah, not against, against awareness not, not against awareness he is upset because his son was gay contracted hiv and died of aids yeah and was not given affection care attention awareness because it was considered that because it was gay, a filthy gay man and not this innocent baby yeah right it's actually a pretty nuanced story here, to Lovedell's credit, because the people with HIV AIDS that the mainstream media was willing to put forth were almost always people like Ryan White, who were heterosexual, ostensibly children who had been infected by a blood transfusion or something like that, which is why the blood donation thing is still such a thing, right? Because that was such a it got so codified because mm. that was the panic. Because nobody was panicked about gay people, particularly, like, because they didn't care. Like, they were panicked about gay people. Nobody was particularly panicked about gay people dying. Sure. But the idea of, I could get it from a blood transfusion was very scary. And these children were innocent. They didn't do anything to deserve it, right? right. So it's an interesting story because Major Maple Leaf's position, I, that name kills me. <laughs> Major Maple Leaf's position is that this child is getting all of the attention and love and care that my son should have gotten. And it's disgusting. And you know what? This baby's going to die anyway. Why don't I just put her out of her misery right now? Yeah. I mean, it's certainly heavy handed and yeah, it's extreme, but yeah. And you know, you and I are not going to cover the the depth of, of talking about HIV and AIDS in the early nineties, but to Labdell's credit, it is more nuanced than it could have been for a coming out story. Except in so far as it ties the coming out story explicitly to an AIDS story, you know, like, which is not something that you needed to do. And I, I certainly not what Fabian was intending. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So there's a there's a question of, was it good to do that because it raises awareness? Or is now the character and homosexuality linked explicitly to AIDS in the mind of the comic reader? And I, to me, as a young person who was in Marvel, like the Marvel Comics fan world, I didn't like it because I felt like it underlined to straight guys reading comics that there was this sort of intrinsic connection between AIDS and being gay, which is, of course, in the 90s, such an idea. And, you know, now I look back and I'm like, well, what's wrong with that? But, you know, it, it was... It was a different time, right? And that was part of the opposition to gay rights generally was like, they're so degenerate, they give themselves this terrible illness. Like that was, you know, the politics of it were insane. So... Yeah, it's a complicated and it's certainly it's a complicated a personal, story, a personal. Yeah, and it thing. really is. A, I think it's a, your mileage may vary. It's right. I, I like it more now than I did when I was young. Yes, I like it quite a bit now. Um, and I do think it's important to, t- to continue to, to keep HIV and AIDS as part of queer history and queer politics. And, you know, hearing Fabian's story in many ways that would have been progressive for the time, but it also feels sort of like a respectability politics in some ways. And that's sure. because I probably fall on like more like extreme or like radical queer side of the spectrum where I'm like, sure. Fuck the normativity stuff. Like, but again, that's why I hate the wedding. So we'll get there when we get there. (laughs) So I think it's, it's worth reading his coming out panel verbatim because so they get in this big uh, fight and major Maple Leaf is explaining 
that he's upset because his son died of AIDS and this baby is getting attention, blah, blah, homophobia. So Northstar in a big punch says, do not presume to lecture me on the hardships homosexuals must bear. No one knows them better than I. For while I am not inclined to discuss my sexuality with people for whom it is none of their business, I am gay. And this is in like a panel where he's like legs and arms spread out. Flying super fast with his hand outstretched. The other hand is in a fist. And to Lovedell's credit, you know, he continues, be that as it may, AIDS is not a disease restricted to homosexuals as Mm -hmm. much as it seems at times the rest of the world wishes that were so. Yes. So for 1992, a straight man, it's not bad at all. It's completely bonkers. It's really just the the arts insane. There's a very touching panel. Uh, You know, obviously Major Maple Leaf does not kill the baby. Uh, The baby does die from complications. And there's a very touching panel of Major Maple Leaf hugging North Star. At the end, yeah, comforting each other, right. Before that, though, I like that Major Maple Leaf's initial response to North Star's coming out is not to be like, oh, I'm sorry. It's to be, well, then fuck you. You're a famous person. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You're a celebrity. Why haven't you done anything before this? Why didn't you come out? You could have saved my son. It's a really interesting, that's an interesting beat as well. Because that remains controversial to this day. It sure does. It's the the Rock Hudson thing, right? right? Of like, Rock Hudson went to his grave, dying of AIDS, never coming out as gay or revealing that he had AIDS. And 1992, Ellen has not even come out yet, right? No. Yeah. No. So, I mean, that to this day remains a very controversial topic of if famous people have any responsibility to out themselves. You know, now we have, certainly there are many challenges for queer and trans people in in Hollywood and in other media. We are still probably at the greatest visibility we've ever had for queer and trans people in media. But there is this continued question of like, does someone who we believe to be gay, who... uh, is in the glass closet, quote unquote, right. do they have a responsibility to come out? A Lee Pace type, shall we say. Sure. Where it's like, never denied it, would appear with lovers in public, but never said he was gay until very recently. Right. So there is still that question. And you see it especially foisted on younger people um, because I think people want, with good intentions, but bad repercussions to see the role models that they wish they would have had. And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of the politics being presented here, which again, for as far as we know, a straight man in 1992 to be asking these questions in a Marvel superhero comic is fascinating. The funny thing to then step beyond the issue. So from what I can read, you know, I obviously wasn't reading comics, buying comics when I was three years old, but the issue did kick off a little media storm. But sold out in a week and no one was buying Alpha Flight. So that was wild. But it was also direct market only. So at the time Mm -hmm. there were comics you could go down to the newsstand and get, and there were comics you had to go to the comic store and get. And if you were an X-Men reader or whatever, and you wanted to go down to your local 7-Eleven and get it, you wouldn't find it there. So you wouldn't find Alpha Flight there. You wouldn't find Alpha Flight there, sorry. There's a great blog post um, from Peter David who explained some of the thinking at the time. I don't know where Peter David was in 1992 with regards to his Marvel work. He was writing X-Factor. Was he still on X-Factor in 92? Yeah, because he's he's on it through Executioner's Song. Gotcha. So he writes a blog post. He's writing it once Alpha Flight has concluded. So we're talking mid-90s. Alpha Flight only runs for 24 more issues. Yes. So it's like probably 95? Sure. I get from the tenor of the blog post that it might be by the time 
Peter has moved on to DC because he's not mincing words. And so he kind of explains some of the context behind Scott Lobdell wrote the coming out issue. He is then off the book, but it sounds like that was a decision already made regardless of the coming out um, because the book had changed editorial hands not long before the coming out issue hit stands and the next editor has already decided to move in a different direction. So you have the not great optics of the man who writes the coming out issue then being moved off the book. The book. Yeah. Yes. Two other Marvel works. Scott Lobdell did not disappear. He was he writing left. all the X-Men titles. Yeah, basically. he wasn't that wanting was him and Fabian work. on everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know, there's no punishment, but he moves off the book. Also, apparently Marvel declined to make any sort of public comments for a little while. You know, there was news media wanting to ask about this comic. You would think any other time getting people to ask about Alpha Flight, you would be like, talk to me, baby. Now they are so eager to do a New York Times article about, not that, you know, it'll be a big deal in the actual comic, but like Marvel or DC love a moment of like, this character's gay now. Ask us yeah. how. Well, I mean, they both have pride issues coming out this month, which is fantastic, but it's such a, you know, it's such a different- But like for press is what right. I'm saying. Like if you look at the Alan Scott thing at DC, which like was not even the real Alan Scott. It was the Alan Scott of Earth 2. Right. They've now rectified that, but- you know, and the headline was Green Lantern comes out as gay. And it was like, he's not even part of the Green Lantern <laughs> core. It's the Golden Age Green Lantern from an alternate earth where right. I guess he was. In the, I don't really. You can only expect just... so much from mainstream media because we also right, have like, you right. know, Flash is non-binary now. It's like, well, a Flash. <laughs> right. A Flash. Yeah. Right. Or like, well, the one that the, actually the thing that keeps the the wildest one there is the this United States of Captain America thing. Oh yeah. Every time one Every of these new now. characters is revealed, there's this media firestorm of Captain America is a black woman now. <laughs> Captain America is a gay Jew now. Captain America is Filipina now. It's like no, it's that they're not. Steve Rogers is still. It's not even Sam, which you'd think they would have done to tie into the TV show. No, it's still Steve. Sure. These are other characters. It's like you guys get that there are multiple Spider-Mans. Why don't you get this? You know, one one thing at a time. One thing at a time, I guess. They've got the Spider-Man. Let's give them credit for that. But yeah, so so Scott Liddell gets moved off the book. uh, And as you said, Alpha Flight runs for 24 more issues. The word gay is never mentioned in those 24 issues. And here's the thing. I. I am not saying anything about Simon Furman. I don't know what his intentions were. No, that feels editorial. Yeah, I'm not it feels like they did it, and then we're like, we're not going to talk about it again. The only extent to which it gets mentioned, there is kind of an interesting plot introduced, and you touched on this earlier, where at this point, Aurora has her split personalities again, and Aurora seems accepting of Northstar, and Jean Marie is repulsed. Because she's a devout Catholic who thinks it's a sin and all of that. It's all about shame. And even that is really only mentioned one time where Walter's like, well, you know, she's still handling your revelation tough. And it's like, that's, it's not said gay. He doesn't date. He doesn't kiss. He never says gay again. You know what just occurred to me? Do we ever, does Jean-Marie ever react to Walter being Jewish? That was probably too risky, but you think that would be, because like you'd think think she'd be like, Aurora is dating a Jew? Like that feels like they're gonna touch on that. (laughs) Un juif? I feel like that. Oh, oh, c'est alors. Un juif in my bed. (laughs) Sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Apologies to any French listeners. My French accent is atrocious, but I love to do it. Yeah, you're gonna lose your Patreon supporters from just certain zip codes, I think. (laughs) 
for the most part, every email I get now from someone who has an accent, apart from like my thick, strong, weird accent, <laughs> like because it's not like I don't have an accent. But anytime anybody writes in now, they're just like, I'm from Canada or like I'm from Liverpool. Like, do you want to try the And I'm like, now I, now I feel like I'm now I feel like I'm on the spot. <laughs> I have to Google it. I'm like, how do I do a Welsh accent? The Pixie episode's a fucking mess. Anyway. Well, North Star never had a, is usually not presented with as much of an accent as his sister. Right. Aurora has a because that's part of her personality right. split. They try to make it that. Yeah. Is that is is Aurora has Aurora doesn't have an accent, but Jean Marie does. Jean Marie does. Aurora does not. I yeah. think, but it's written in that atrocious, like phonetic, like the She talks like yeah. Pepe Le Pew. Yeah, it's not good. Northstar never gets that, except for a couple like tertiary appearances. It never happens in Alpha Flight where they try to do that to him. But it is in the first couple Burn issues. It seems like they're going in the direction of. They literally only speak French, and therefore half yeah. the team can't understand them. But they kind of just drop yeah, that as it goes along. When uh, when he and Aurora have their little like breakup moment because he offended her, Heather's trying to get him back, and she calls him on the phone, and she's like, "Sorry about my high school French phone yeah. call." So like, because they're speaking French, it's confusing because I don't think they do those brackets that they no. always do in accent, where it's like trans from the French would be in like the little. They would just do a little asterisk. It's yeah, yeah, but they don't do it. It's just a regular speech bubble but she mentions that they're speaking french you're like wait what they eventually <laughs> just drop that because i think they yeah. realize either someone forgot or they realized it was well the logistics <laughs> are just impractical i would say i think that jean paul to me reads definitely like he's written as someone who's like esl and written as someone who like in terms of the way he speaks it like reads very french to me a lot of the time like it reminds me of celine do you know what i'm saying like it's not nearly as thick as Celine Dion's accent, oh, obviously. I you meant or Celine the Black oh, Queen. Oh, not the Black Queen. Not the Black Queen. I was Let's like, clarify. What accent Let's does clarify. She have from probably like ancient Roman Anatolian. South yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, Celine speaks Portuguese Latin. <laughs> or no, it's Incan Latin, I guess, because they mentioned Nova Roma intermarried with the Incas, and the Incas, the Incas, by the way, were not on that side. Nope, of South don't America. worry about it. Don't worry about it. So the point is, um, yeah, no, but I, I always think of him as having like a light accent, especially because he's so determinedly Quebecois. Like he's so he's like an activist about it that I can't see him doing that celebrity thing of purposely killing the accent. I feel like so since I came in primarily during his X-Men era and then read Alpha Flight later, I feel like. In the X-Men books, he is not really... I never read it that way. I think Leah's doing it more now, but I never read it. See, I would go to Chuck Austin because that's where I certainly, like, my longest-term exposure to North Star mm -hmm. was in Chuck Austin. And Chuck has him speak in sort of... It's a little mannered. It reminds me of actually the way Claremont has Aurora speak in the classic stuff, where it's like, I'm speaking English, but not colloquially. Yeah. You know, like I'm thinking about my words like the one that I mean, this is a we're jumping ahead. But this is like a very famous moment where Charles invites Jean-Paul to come teach at the school. And Jean-Paul says, what, boys, Jim? Right. Surely not. <laughs> that cadence of like, what, boys, Jim? Like, surely not or whatever. sounds very French to me. I feel like it's not written phonetically like yeah. a Claremont accent, but you get the, the speech pattern. It doesn't feel like. 
he or like when uh, it's Polaris's bachelorette party and they're all talking about Gambit and he's just like with some seriously hot buns or something. It just like <laughs> feels very French to me. I don't know. I think it's one of those things you have to have known to be looking. You have to have known it. that he was yeah, yeah. French when you started. And which I, I did. certainly, uh, you know, yeah. I prefer that to like the John Byrne phonetic language, which is just a chore to read. But uh, I think you had to kind of know to look for it. And at the time, I really just knew like, okay, he's Canadian and he's gay and bitchy. Right. I also think there's a tendency in the more modern North Star appearances where people kind of conflate American stereotypes of French snootiness with French with Canadian, French Canadian. Which is not yeah. exactly the same brand of snootiness. But I mean, I've been to Montreal a few times and I enjoy it. And uh, they're not not snooty in their own way, but it's not Paris. <laughs> we all know Montreal gays and they're different from Paris gays. By yeah. we all, I mean you and I. Like it's a, you know, it's like a different, it's a different culturally yeah, different. Yeah. Yeah. It's a distinct culture. And um, I think sometimes... I picture him talking kind of like, it just, just we're just going to go there. I kind of think of his voice as like a Gabriel Clark-esque. I don't even know who that is. Yes, you do. No. I'll show you a picture. Oh, is he an adult film actor? He sure is. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. So where are we chronologically in North Star? Oh, so he comes out. The book he's, runs yeah, he's gay. for 24 <laughs> more issues. <laughs> With nary a mention. Never mentioned his, other than this you know, very right. subtle, very subtle, like Aurora does not really, or, you know, Jean-Marie. Jean-Marie's really freaked out about it, but we're not going to say the word gay again. Right. So then North Star, or uh, Alpha Flight concludes. Is canceled. In a fairly progressive move in some ways he is the member of the cast who gets a spin-off miniseries so as yes. soon as alpha flight ends simon Furman, the same writer who, who concluded the book and an artist who unfortunately again his name escapes me did a four issue north star miniseries uh you you have to buy it secondhand again the word gay is not said on panel so you do have this conflicting thing of like okay it's 1994 I think at this mm -hmm. point 94 a gay an out gay male character is getting a solo miniseries at Marvel Comics the word gay is not mentioned he is not shown um to be with any men there, there's flashback panels where it's like oh my good friend or whatever but there's no intimacy shown on panel and the stuff with him and Raymond is made very platonic as a yes. retcon. There are a couple moments where it's like, so uh, his first foe in this is Weapon Prime, which is like the super 90s version of Alpha Flight. Uh, and then, um, or not Weapon Prime or Al Prime Flights. It's not worth remembering. <laughs> anyway, um, but then he he tussles with Arcade. And at one point... It is Weapon Prime. Weapon Prime Tiger Prime Strike, Double a, Trouble, Killjoy, and Yeti. Right, and kill, he's called Kill Spree, and it just looks like maybe someone forgot that he was called Killjoy before. Like, it's, you know, lots of thought and care put into those <laughs> characters. And... Um, <laughs> Ah, it's his last appearance, actually. It's North Star 3. They've never used him again. Good for him. I have his toy. <laughs> so this is funny. I looked at, I'm looking at the Marvel Wiki. Creators Fabian Nicias and Greg Capullo. Mm -hmm. First appearance, X-Force 22 as Killjoy. North Star number one as Kill Spree. Yep. Because you're right. No one checked. No one checked. Yeah, I also had the Kill Spree action figure, though, and I never had read this miniseries. I just had all those fucking action figures. Yeah, sometimes the toys, what you imagined was cooler than what they ever did on page. I gotta tell you, <laughs> what I imagined Kill Spree was up to was way cooler than anything Killjoy slash Kill Spree actually got up to in this miniseries. Absolutely. Sure. But so he tussles with Arcade, and at one point Arcade is like, you know, he's actually pretty brave, and I feel bad for him. 
still got to kill him. And like, that's the level of mention that he gets. Uh, I think in the first issue, also like the director of Weapon Prime is like briefing them and he's like, oh, well, he's a mutant. He's super fast and he's, you know, (laughs) like and it's it's kind of um, bonkers that they would think to do a North Star miniseries, which in and of itself is a somewhat political choice in the mid 90s. Well, you have to remember that again, Alpha Flight 106 was an enormously top-selling comic. So the idea of getting the press for doing this without cuz I I'm sure, I mean I it's possible I'm forgetting something but I don't think I am that this is the first solo title by a big two comic company that's a solo title starring a gay man. Like, DC doesn't have one until Steve Orlando's Midnighter. Right. Which is pretty recent. Garth Ennis wrote a couple solos, but that was under Wildstorm, and his sexuality was not a big part of those books. But yes, yeah, so Northstar is almost definitely the first. The only way they beat that to market is retroactively if any other character's been out well sure like Iceman had a miniseries in the 80s, Iceman but, had the Demetrius but that doesn't right. count he was yeah. although that's a real gay fucking miniseries yes. so you know Refer although Demetrius I, I after recording that episode I went and looked Demetrius says it wasn't on purpose but that he's glad that it works yeah I actually think that's true of a lot of Iceman's history but you and Anthony covered that really well yeah and I don't yeah. agree actually I think <laughs> well I agree I agree through about 1990 I think Labdell's stuff in the 90s though is very much intentionally he's in the closet I'm yeah I'm not saying chronologically yeah, yeah, yeah. like it, it ratchets up consistently but I think a lot if you go back to his history a lot of it a lot works, of it works mm-hmm. even if it wasn't intentional even dating Polaris <laughs> The thing about North Star then is that it's such a, a crazy case of wanting to have your cake and eat it too, where they, they have this miniseries of the first gay male character to get a miniseries at Marvel DC, you know, asterisk if you, we find something else afterwards, but uh, and then to never say the word gay. Right. But that's, you get the press right. and you might get collectors buying it for that reason, but you don't actually get the blowback of any gay content. Yeah. But I got to say, the miniseries is kind of a bop. Uh, it's really fun. He gets he goes all over the world, kind of tracking down various elements of his past. And he works shockingly well as a solo protagonist. And mm-hmm. it's, it's existentially depressing to me <laughs> at this point that that was reserved to four issues in the 90s that are... And never happened anyway. again. And never happens again. Right. Because... He actually works really well as this kind of like jet setting, very competent, yet also hot headed character. It, it works as sort of like a Dick Grayson thing, a little bit of like Johnny Stormish. And you could really see how, with the right treatment, North Star could have spun off to greater heights. I mean, what they've done instead is Quicksilver's gotten a couple minis. That character is also one where it's like, oh, he works as a solo hero because they have the same cool power. They're like the Flash-esque. It's visually striking. Yeah. And they both have like a prickly, difficult personality. And sister issues. And And a twin sister (laughs) who's crazy. Yeah, Yeah, no, they're very, very similar characters, actually. It's particularly interesting in Northstar's case that his sis, like he, he's introduced as such a paired mm-hmm. character to the point where to use the full extent of their powers, they have to be touching, mm-hmm. which makes them interestingly. The first characters introduced to do that are Fenris, who are also <laughs> twins and who have a very different 
complicated relationship. But it's the same concept, and it's interesting, like, that. here's the good version of, yeah. like, the twins hold hands and they have a power. But, you know, a character who was so dramatically tied to his sister, not only through his literal powers, but also, as we pointed out, through every plot he ever had, because he wasn't allowed to have personal plots, he was allowed to have thoughts on Aurora's personal plots. Yes. To do a solo book, period, is really interesting, and to have it work is kind of impressive. Yeah, it's shockingly good, and aside from making the Raymond relationship more clearly non-sexual, it does a pretty decent job of like making all the weird parts of North Star's backstory fit together because he has to go to the circus. He has to touch upon. He has to go to the circus. He has to become a terrorist and then he has to be an Olympic skier. Yes. It's a lot to pack in, especially with the sliding time scale. But the, yeah, but he they make it all fit pretty well. And, and maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about the separatist stuff. First, I would like to pause for the Cerebro character file on Jean-Paul Bobier. I think that this is a good moment. We're mid-90s. He's come out. We just did the mini-series. That's where I figured, like, that's where I made my note that would stop. I'm going to take you through this character's publication history. We've already done a lot of in-depth talking about it, but I'm going to take you through the broad strokes of it. And uh, then we will come back for more with Steve Fox on North Star. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. Jean-Paul Bobier, better known by the codename North Star, was the first textually gay superhero at Marvel Comics. Introduced as a member of Alpha Flight, a superhero team formed by the government of Canada, the Quebecois hero North Star was created by Chris Claremont and John Byrne in 1979 and was always intended to be a gay character. After over a decade of editorial censorship, North Star came out on panel in 1992's Alpha Flight 106. He became the first openly gay X-Man a decade later in 2002's Uncanny X-Men 414 part of Chuck Austin's run on the title. While Jean-Paul's same-sex wedding to his human boyfriend Kyle Janadu in 2012 made real-world international news, in the years since, this shining star has struggled to find his light. North Star debuts alongside the rest of Alpha Flight in 1979's X-Men 120 by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. The premier Canadian super team, employed by the government agency Department H, Alpha Flight is dispatched to Calgary to apprehend Wolverine, formerly the Department H operative Weapon X, who had left the program to join the X-Men. North Star and Aurora are pointy-eared fraternal twin mutants with superhuman speed and the power of flight. They can also release a flash of blinding light if they clasp hands. After a battle with the X-Men ends in mission failure, Alpha Flight abandons its quest to recover Wolverine and returns to headquarters. After some cameos in other Marvel titles over the next few years, Alpha Flight stars in its own eponymous comic series in 1983, written and drawn by Canadian artist John Byrne. As the series opens, Alpha Flight has been decommissioned by the government because it's too expensive and generally incompetent. North Star, identified as Jean-Paul Bobier, visits his twin sister Jean-Marie, codename Aurora, at the convent school where she grew up and now works. North Star and Aurora have only recently met. They were orphaned and raised separately, unaware of each other's existence until they were recruited by Alpha Flight. When Jean-Paul visits her now, he's startled by the woman he meets. Jean-Marie is a cold, timid, buttoned-up woman, and he learns that his sister actually has a split personality, in a very 80s understanding of the controversial psychiatric diagnosis now usually called dissociative identity disorder. Aurora, the personality he has come to know, is a sultry bon vivant superheroine. Jean-Marie is the tortured, devout Catholic girl who grew up in the convent, who hates Aurora and is ashamed of her. When the Aurora personality resurfaces, the twins speak with their bosses from Alpha Flight, James McDonald Hudson, a.k.a. Guardian, and his wife Heather, a.k.a. Vindicator. The Hudsons want to run Alpha Flight independently without government oversight or funding and ask the Bobiers to join back up. The twins take center stage in a two-issue arc over issues 7 and 8. 
Aurora has been switching personalities more and more frequently, and Jean-Paul is frustrated to learn that instead of preserving Aurora full-time, psychiatric intervention to cure the split personality would likely destroy both Jean-Marie and Aurora, leaving a new third persona in their place. After this disappointing news, Jean-Paul introduces Aurora to Raymond Belmond, an older man from his past. Jean-Paul is startled when Raymond introduces them to his daughter, Danielle, whom he has only recently met. It's clear Jean-Paul would not expect Raymond to have fathered a child. Raymond says Danielle reminds him of the very different man he used to be once upon a time. Not long after this reunion has begun, Raymond is murdered by the supervillain Deadly Ernest, don't worry about it, who kidnaps Aurora, believing her to be Danielle. Raymond is described in narration as more than a father, much more than a friend to Jean-Paul. Raymond found Jean-Paul in the streets when he was a teenager and taught him love and self-acceptance. With the help of a mysterious woman called Nemesis, Jean-Paul bursts in to rescue Aurora, but finds her unharmed as she's been playing it smart with Ernest, wheedling information out of him. She discovers that Danielle conspired to help Ernest kill her long-lost father, and the twins have Danielle arrested. Northstar admits he assumed Aurora romanced Deadly Ernest to escape, and she's so offended she declares their partnership over, cutting off all contact with him. A backup story in issue 10 shows us the twins' backstory. Northstar, it turns out, grew up under the name Jean-Paul Martin. When Alpha Flight leader Guardian saw news about Jean-Paul's success as a skiing champion, he noticed the man's shocking resemblance to Aurora, elfin features, glossy black hair, and pointed ears. Government records showed that the twins were orphaned as infants in a car accident, and their mother's cousins, the Martins, adopted Jean-Paul. Unable to afford a second child, they sent baby Jean-Marie to a government-subsidized convent school. The Martins were then killed in another accident, and six-year-old Jean-Paul was sent to foster care with no knowledge of his birth family. Once contacted by Guardian, Jean-Paul agreed to visit Department H, and by the time he arrived, had already changed his surname to Bobier. Guardian revealed to a shock Jean-Paul that he knew Jean-Paul was cheating in his skiing competitions by using his mutant power of super-speed flight. He became a famous Olympian and had it all. Money, fame, women. Though Guardian notes the women have never seemed to interest Jean-Paul much. Jean-Paul is skeptical about joining Alpha Flight, but agrees when he gets the surprise of his life, meeting Aurora, who greets him warmly as her brother. When they shake hands, they discover their gestalt power to create blinding light when they touch. Back in the present, Aurora ignores Northstar on their missions, pretending he simply does not exist. When Guardian is apparently killed and Alpha Flight briefly disbands, Jean-Paul elects to quit the team rather than endure the silent treatment from his sister. Aurora has her lover Dr. Walter Langowski, a.k.a. Sasquatch, alter her DNA so that she can use her light powers without Jean-Paul's help. When her Jean-Marie personality regains control, she's horrified by Aurora's romance with the bestial Sasquatch and flees to seek help from Jean-Paul. After a struggle with the crime boss called the Pink Pearl, don't worry about it, Jean-Marie learns that Jean-Paul, as an orphan teenager, had joined the circus as a trapeze artist and eventually fell in with the Front de Libération de Québec, a separatist terrorist group. After she regains control as primary personality, Aurora decides to tell the rest of Alpha Flight about Jean-Paul's criminal past. The team doesn't find time to fully hash out the issue because they keep running into emergencies. One of those is the 1985 crossover X-Men Alpha Flight by Chris Claremont, where Jean-Paul has his memories and powers temporarily absorbed by Rogue. Feeling a bond with the young woman after she suddenly knows all his secrets, he volunteers to help her test her powers later in the story, surprising everyone given his usually selfish attitude. John Byrne's original run on Alpha Flight ends not long after this with issue 28, and Alpha Flight once again becomes an official government super team under new writer Bill Mantlo. They have lots of adventures you absolutely do not need to worry about. The following year, in Marvel Fanfare 28, Mantlo tells a story about Northstar and Alpha Flight. Former members of the Cell Combattre, Jean-Paul's old terrorist comrades, are being murdered, and Jean-Paul is forced to admit his involvement in the Front de Libération. 
It's established that Jean-Paul never committed violent crimes as part of the organization, and he's pardoned of all wrongdoing in recognition of his service to Department H. While signing autographs at a skiing exhibition, Jean-Paul is forced to use his mutant powers publicly to rescue a girl who apparently attempts suicide. Challenged as a fraud, Jean-Paul admits he's not certain if he used his powers to cheat when competing. He agrees to retire from skiing. A superfan, the young mind-controlling mutant Purple Girl, briefly entrances him into becoming her boyfriend. The chaste romance is quickly interrupted when submersion in water disrupts her mutant pheromones, and Jean-Paul is furious that his free will was violated. He brings Purple Girl back to Alpha Flight, where she joins the team as a trainee. Soon after this, he develops a persistent cough. Whatever his mysterious illness is, the villain Pestilence rapidly accelerates it in battle and explains to Northstar that he is dying. Bill Mantlo's intention was to do a storyline in which Jean-Paul was revealed as gay because of an HIV diagnosis and eventually died of AIDS, reflecting the broader crisis impacting the gay community in real life at that time. Editor-in-chief Jim Shooter refused to allow gay characters to exist in the Marvel Universe. Mantlo's pivot is, frankly, extraordinary. In 1987's Alpha Flight 50, the Asgardian god Loki reveals that Northstar is half-fairy. He and Aurora are the product of a love affair between a human and an Asgardian elf of Alfheim, and the impurities of Midgard are slowly killing him physically even as they've also caused Aurora's mental illness. Jean-Marie uses up all of her power to heal Jean-Paul, who is assumed into elf paradise by his fairy relatives. Aurora is left at a monastery, now a powerless human. Two years and 31 issues later, Northstar returns in Alpha Flight 81, part of the storyline The Quest for Northstar, the penultimate arc by writer James Hudnall, where it's promptly revealed that Loki made the whole fairy thing up. Don't worry about it. Jean-Marie helps rescue Jean-Paul from Asgard, even though she still has no powers. Jean-Paul manages to share his own power with Jean-Marie, restoring her abilities, and the twins return to Earth. Northstar officially rejoins Alpha Flight full-time in 1991's issue 95 by new writer Fabian Niciesa. Niciesa planned to reveal Jean-Paul was gay by showing the reader his romantic relationship with a supporting character, Alpha Flight's government liaison, Carrie Patrick, but this plan never came to fruition, as Niciesa left the book later that year after issue 101. Five issues later, in 1992's 106, writer Scott Lobdell does a very different coming-out story. Jean-Paul discovers a baby in a dumpster and abandons a battle to take her to the emergency room. The infant is diagnosed with AIDS, having been infected with HIV in utero, and there's nothing doctors can do for her. Jean-Paul adopts the girl, naming her Joanne Bobier, and begins publicizing her condition in order to raise HIV-AIDS awareness. After he's attacked by the former hero Major Maple Leaf, who resents that baby Joanne is garnering sympathy, while his own son, who was gay, died of AIDS unloved by society, Jean-Paul reveals to Maple Leaf that he himself is gay. He stresses that HIV-AIDS is not a disease specific to gay people. After Major Maple Leaf excoriates him for remaining in the closet while gay men died of AIDS by the thousands, and Joanne dies in his arms, Jean-Paul schedules a press conference and announces his homosexuality to the public, deciding to become a celebrity activist for HIV-AIDS prevention and education. Bobdell left the book two issues later and was replaced by Simon Furman. Alpha Flight ran for 24 more issues before being cancelled with issue 130. Jean-Paul's sexuality is never explicitly discussed again, though it's established that while Aurora supports him, the Jean-Marie personality is having trouble accepting him due to her religious beliefs. Alpha Flight is shut down again by the government, and Jean-Paul is insulted by the desk job they offer him instead. He quits. A month later, in February 1994, Norster spins off into his own four-issue solo miniseries by Simon Furman and Dario Carrasco Jr. This miniseries retcons some of Northstar's backstory, establishing Raymond Belmond as a platonic mentor rather than a romantic interest, and further distancing Jean-Paul from Quebecois separatist terrorism. It turns out he left the group after personally preventing them from killing innocent civilians. 
A short-lived new volume of Alpha Flight by writer Steve Siegel ran from 1997 to 1999, and Nordstar appears intermittently as he tries to locate the missing Aurora, whose mental health has been significantly deteriorating. It turns out she's been driven crazy by a Department H experiment, and Alpha Flight is formally reinstated once this is exposed. Jean-Paul does not remain with them, though, and instead pivots into the 2001 Uncanny X-Men event Eve of Destruction, written by Scott Lobdell. While on a book tour with his hit memoir Born Normal, Jean-Paul is convinced by Jean Grey to join an emergency temporary backup team of X-Men to fight Magneto. Do not worry about this story, but it does feature Jean-Paul talking very openly about his sexuality and bristling at the homophobia of fellow temporary X-Man Polly Provenzano. He ends up saving Polly's life, and the two reach a sort of understanding. The following year, in 2002's Uncanny X-Men 414, writer Chuck Austin brings Northstar to the team officially. Approached by Charles Xavier, Jean-Paul is skeptical of the man's offer to have a gay celebrity teach at his school, but Xavier explains that mutants are not the world's only minority. He wants his students to have a variety of role models, and is specifically seeking out a gay teacher. Jean-Paul is convinced to accept the job after he tries to save the life of a newly awakened mutant child, and is unable to reach medical care in time to save the boy. At the mansion, he teaches business, becomes a member of the X-Men, and befriends the new school nurse, Annie Gazakanian. He admits to her that he has feelings for his ostensibly heterosexual teammate, Iceman, but they are unrequited. In the new volume of New Mutants by Nunzio DeFilippis and Christina Weir, he also begins teaching a student combat squad, which he calls Alpha Squadron. He's eventually taken off active X-Men duty by Cyclops and is annoyed he's been demoted to only teaching. In 2005's Wolverine 25 by Mark Miller and John Romita Jr., Jean-Paul is murdered in front of his students by Wolverine, who has been brainwashed by the Japanese crime syndicate called The Hand. Over the next several months, The Hand secretly resurrects and brainwashes Northstar, turning him into a cult leader and assassin. He's apprehended by Wolverine and winds up in S.H.I.E.L.D. custody, where his survival is kept a secret. After the decimation, in which all but about 200 mutants lose their powers due to the reality alterations of the Scarlet Witch, Northstar and Aurora are two of those rare mutants who retain their gifts. As writer Mike Carey begins his run on the X-Men in the 2006 arc Supernovas, Northstar is still in S.H.I.E.L.D. medical care, having his mind restored. The facility is attacked by the new villains called the Children of the Vault, who end up brainwashing Jean-Paul and Jean-Marie again, sending the twins to attack the X-Men. In the 2007 X-Men Annual, also by Carey, the twins are successfully deprogrammed through a telepathic bonding experience, and as a side effect, Aurora's multiple personalities are integrated into a unified whole. Northstar turns up again in 2009's Uncanny X-Men 508 by Matt Fraction and Greg Land, now the wealthy CEO of a sportswear and athletic equipment brand called Team Northstar Extreme Snow Sports. He's working with his sister, who has also introduced him to her friend Kyle Janadu, a Nigerian-American publicist who begins working as the brand's public relations representative. By the time we meet him, he and Jean-Paul have already begun a romantic relationship. Wolverine invites Jean-Paul to rejoin the X-Men, reassuring him it isn't a publicity stunt because of his sexuality. Jean-Paul agrees and relocates to San Francisco, where he's horrified by Simon Trask's proposed Proposition X legislation, which would restrict mutant reproductive rights. He grows close with Dazzler and remains a member of the X-Men through the Fraction run and into the following run by Kieran Gillen. Kyle is uncomfortable in the mutant haven utopia, and Jean-Paul has trouble juggling his long-distance relationship with his normal human boyfriend and his duties as a superhero. After the 2011 event Chaos War, Jean-Paul briefly rejoins Alpha Flight for a short-lived new run by Greg Pak, Fred Van Lente, and Dale Eaglesham. Kyle becomes one of many civilians enthralled by the powers of the villain Purple Woman, formerly Alpha Flight member Purple Girl, and ends up, I don't know, mortally wounded by box drone robots. Department H secretly rebuilds him with alien Plodex technology. Don't worry about it. John Paul returns to the X-Men after the schism event, siding with Wolverine and joining the cast of Astonishing X-Men by Marjorie Liu. Tired of long-distance romance, Kyle moves in with Jean-Paul in a new apartment in Hell's Kitchen and is immediately kidnapped by the Marauders and nearly killed. 
their relationship is still strained by Northstar's work as a superhero and Kyle's awkward place in his life as a normal human with no powers. To patch things up after an argument, Jean-Paul proposes to Kyle, who turns him down because he doesn't want a quick fix. In the following issue, they get married anyway? I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It's a big fancy event and all the X-Men come except the Shi'ar alien Warbird because she doesn't approve. Astonishing X-Men is canceled 17 issues later. The following year, Jean-Paul becomes a regular cast member in Amazing X-Men, but is essentially a background character. He then falls out of regular publication for four years until the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, in which he's one of countless mutants to become a citizen of the new sovereign mutant nation on the living island Krakoa. Kyle secures special dispensation to live on Krakoa as Jean-Paul's spouse and becomes one of the few human residents of Krakoa. This is a cute reversal of an earlier plot where Jean-Paul had issues with his United States green card. In the 2020 title X Factor by Leah Williams and David Balzayon, Aurora is murdered. And while she's resurrected by the power of the five, Jean-Paul joins forces with Lorna Dane, his former X-Men teammate Polaris, to form a new incarnation of X-Factor Investigations. This new team investigates irregularities with the Krakoan resurrection protocols. And though Jean-Paul expects Lorna to lead them, she insists he take the reins. Though X-Factor Volume 4 has built a passionate fan following, it has unfortunately been cancelled with the upcoming issue 10. The cast, including Jean-Paul, will pivot into the upcoming event miniseries The Trial of Magneto, also written by Leo Williams. X-Men, X-Men. And we're back. Welcome back to the Nostal episode already in progress. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith. I'm here with comics writer and editor Steve Fox. Steve, before we went to the break for the character file, you were bringing up Jean-Paul's connection to Quebecois separatism, and you seemed to want to address that. And I was like, no, 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 hold on. We need to get to the character file. But now I would like to just let you loose. Go yeah. for it. Well, okay. First off, I'm not Canadian. I'm from Michigan, which is close, but no, you know. That's basically exactly. Canadian. <laughs> you can say that about the Upper Peninsula, but not the Lower. We have to talk about it because it is part of his history, but I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about you have to be careful about what, what questions you ask. And the situation when it comes to separatism is that uh, Marvel Comics, especially in the 70s and 80s, a little less so now, really enjoyed tying characters to real world events. I think it gave them a certain fidelity and reality that you didn't see at other comic companies where it's like, okay, this character's origin is tied to Vietnam. Yeah, DC never did that. Storm's backstory is the Suez crisis. Right. Karma's backstory is tied to the Vietnamese boat people crisis in the wake of the Vietnam War. Magneto and the Holocaust. I mean, it's something they liked doing. It gives so much texture to these characters, and it's one reason we love them. It is not sustainable in the way that monthly comics work. So the thing about the separatism is that I think probably every writer who's touched upon it had good intentions of this fleshing out Jean-Paul's character. Because again, you have the issue we have this big plot component for him that we can't actually talk about. So now we're left figuring out other things to talk about. And it lends another side to Canadian patriotism. The other thing to know is that Alpha Flight, it went off and on being a government entity, but it's not like patriotism gung-ho the team. It's more like Freedom Force or the uh, 90s Peter David X Factor, where they work for the government, but it's not Captain America. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not like flag waving patriotism. So I know, you know, one of my friends asked about this on Twitter of, you know, how are two Americans really going to dive into this? But I think the thing is, you just have to acknowledge that John Byrne probably meant well in adding some extra texture to Jean Paul. Subsequent writers softened his involvement. So 
you have Jean-Paul going in, in different appearances to, you know, I feel strongly about this, but I'll suck it up because my sister's part of the team to, I felt strongly about it, but then the separatists went too far and I was repulsed to a big component of his solo series being him clearly stating that he rejects the radicalism of the movement and the violence and that one of his big initial acts of heroism was preventing civilian casualties during a planned bombing. They wuss out. They wuss out with this. Like they do. They they yeah. decide the character being a radical who is part of a terrorist group is not something we're comfortable with. Let's soften this. There are other characters who this is also done with over time where it's like, well, but we never killed anyone. <laughs> or like, I was opposed to the violence. You right. know, that's fine. I think it makes him less interesting. I, th I think it does in some ways, but I also think it, it is often smarter to leave these conflicts to the purely fictional. Like if you have the mutant liberation front, mm -hmm. that is something that you can really dive into and sink your teeth into. Right. Tempo's that character in the mutant liberation front, and right. she's not saying anything about Kepikwa separatism or the IRA or whatever exactly. by doing that. It's not going to have that real world, oh shit, we're talking about real world politics and someone's going to get mad at us right. thing. It's not a real resistance struggle. It's an allegorical resistance <laughs> struggle. And I think that's why, you know, it, some would say that's like a cowardice thing. And it's kind of this constant push-pull you see in comics of wanting to address and reflect the politics that are going on today and the, the real world lived experiences. But there are times where it's smarter to keep it in the allegory and to keep it in the fictional situation, not because it's wrong to, you know, quote, pick a side, but because how much do you expect comic writers to <laughs> lend depth and, and fullness to these discussions and these arguments, especially right. on a sliding time scale where, you know, even if you had told the best possible separatist story with North Star in 1983, it's not going to age correctly because we're you know 40 years later yeah i mean that organization hasn't existed in a yeah. very long time so i think the the tough but honest answer when it comes to like addressing that part of north star's history is that it has been softened and it does not work in a sliding time scale and i think that's why you haven't really seen it brought up in many of his contemporary appearances. It's mentioned in the Alpha Flight, the last time Alpha Flight had a series, the Van Linty Pack Eaglesham. It mm -hmm. comes up a little bit, um, but they were also kind of doing like a greatest hits of all those characters. So the most notable thing about each of those characters kind of got brought back up into that story. But yeah, so the shorthand is different writers have spent time distancing him from the radicalism of it to where it's something that he agreed with the ideals, but not the practices. And right. that's where they land. Yeah, it's one of those things that really just, I mean, I think it's in part a certain reticence about radical politics, mm. especially as superhero comics became more and more corporate in the way that they were owned and operated. You know, Marvel by the mid 90s has to be sold to corporate entities, right? By the early 90s, even it's there's corporate people now involved in the room who are thinking about all of this optical stuff more than the shooter era people were, for instance. But I think also it is just a side effect, as you say, of the sliding timescale. Because similarly, Banshee's wife, Siren's mother, was killed in an IRA bombing. Right, which doesn't quite work anymore. Right, there's only so many years that you can, like, if Siren's 30, then we can make it kind of, because she's a baby when it happens. 
it's a stretch though, yeah. you know, like it gets into the karma problem of like your backstory is explicitly tied to a human rights crisis that happened in 1975 that we all can point to. We can stretch it. It could be 78, maybe, but like we can't stretch it that far. Yeah. And that's going to be an unsatisfying answer to some people. And it also has this situation again, where North Star was limited in the plots they could do with him. And you take one off the table because it doesn't really work in perpetuity. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when you see him again, he has now had elements of his backstory kind of invented and just kind of dropped there, mm-hmm. which is probably a good time to like speed ahead to what we would call the X-Men era of North Star. Yeah, let's jump to, I mean, so you addressed, he joins the X-Men very briefly in Jean's bullshit team (laughs) in Eve of Destruction when she mind violates Joanna Cargill Mm -hmm. and recruits Sunpire and Pauly and all those losers. So the, sorry, I'm sorry, those characters are lame. For the record, I I, I like them all. Uh... Are dumb. They just are. They are dumb. They're dumb characters. So there's that, but the real moment for him where he becomes an important X-Men character is, of all things, the Chuck Austin run. Yes. Which is infamous for many reasons, but I would say the one plot element of it that I think is pretty universally beloved in the fandom is the relationship between Bobby and Jean-Paul. Jean-Paul's crush on Bobby, Bobby's resistance to it. Speaking as someone who was a teenager at the time and was online on the internet in especially female-driven slash fandom. The Bobby and Jean-Paul of it all was everywhere. Fan art, (laughs) fan fiction, live journal, Big Bang posts. Like, it was huge. That was a huge ship for a really long time. And in part, it's because people had been writing slash about Bobby since the 90s. It used to be Bobby and Gambit was, like, the big (laughs) online thing. It would be like that. Which, like, poor Rogue, right? (laughs) She might be into it. Who knows? The point is, this relationship, I think, was popular. People liked this. North Star became kind of popular as a character because of how he was characterized here. And I think that, in part, it's because Bobby is straight and says no at that time. So it was a non-threatening storyline, right? Because the gay guy gets rejected. He's the one with the unrequited love. It's actually not unlike what Fabian said he wanted initially to do with Shatterstar and Richter, where it was going to be that Richter was straight, but Shatterstar was in love with him. And that didn't end up happening. But I think it would have gone over pretty well, like as gay characters go, in terms of gay content in the 90s. I think you could have really gotten away with that more than you could with like a reciprocated thing. But I think also like this is the moment at which, you know, Hilary Duff is like, don't say gay when you're stupid. (laughs) There's an anti-homophobia like thing kind of happening in pop culture the kind of toy fair stuff that you were talking about, like that wouldn't be cool anymore. Yeah. It's going out of style in the early aughts when this Mm -hmm. stuff is coming out. And so I've seen people say like, Oh, what an asshole from Charles, because when North star is like, you don't want me to teach boys gym. Certainly Charles goes, no, I think not, but perhaps (laughs) something else. People are like, wow, Charles is a homophobe. I'm like, Honestly, for the aughts, they're making a joke. He's yeah. just saying like, yeah, we both know that the media would have a field day with that because at the time, the media would have had a field day with that. Also, I'm sorry, like, grow up. Like, some people are, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like, this might be the, the moment in the podcast where like everyone ex Twitter just decides they hate me, but- Steve gets canceled live on Cerebro. But to a certain extent, grow up. Like, if you, not everyone is- 
perfectly inclusive and accepting. And that is a real experience that you experience as a person who is queer or trans or whatever. Like you do not grow up and go from safe space to safe space to safe space. I wish that that were true. I wish like hell that were true for younger queer people. But the reality is, especially in the early 2000s, but through to now, that that is a very relevant experience where you are are meeting someone or you're talking to a friend, someone you consider a, a diehard friend, old friend, and you discover their limits of acceptance. Yes. That is a very true thing. It happens with your parents. It happens with your friends. Yeah. It happens with your coworkers. You're going to run into something where it's just like, oh, that's not. Hmm. But yeah. here it's. I actually think here that Charles is mostly saying like, I get it. I'm a cool guy. Cause like, Oh yeah. John Paul, Cause John Paul baits yeah. him and Charles is like, yeah, probably not. Like yeah. he's, they're joking with each other, which is like Charles's way of saying like, I get what you're saying. I understand the difficulties faced by gay men in the professional sphere. It's sort of an acknowledgement, but yes. in the typical Chuck Austin way, it's very ham fisted. It's not, sure. you know, it's not a subtle, bit of dialogue. But the Austin run kind of completes that trifecta of like men that we would criticize for other aspects of their writing, actually handling North Star pretty well and with a lot mm -hmm. of respect. So the first issue where he's introduced, I'm sure you covered this in the um, character file, but North Star is reluctant to join the team whatsoever. He shows up, he's an asshole to everyone. And everyone's like, oh yeah, that's John Paul. He's an asshole. Don't worry about him. Hey, he's always been an asshole since yeah. the thing with the fairies. <laughs> but there's a kid whose power manifests and his power is uncontrolled explosion. Right. And North Star tries desperately to fly him to a facility that can take care of him and he can't make it in time. And the kid dies um, despite North Star's best efforts. But while they're flying, they have a very touching heart to heart. And it, it is... If you take a step back, it's kind of weird how many times writers have gone to the like, Jean Paul really cares about a kid storyline. About children, yeah. Because it happens again in Amazing X Men. Mm -hmm. But I think it's because there's a natural protectiveness to his character that you see with Aurora. But he's much. I was going to say it's a lot like it kids. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot like how he is patronizing and and controlling with Aurora. Yeah, but with the children who he sees as innocent, it's less judgmental. And Anol is kind of a, a, a nice sweet spot. Because, Middle ground, yeah. Yeah, he try, He is a little like more glib with Anol. And Anol's like, no, fuck you. You're an asshole. Like, you don't understand me. Like, you think you understand me, but you're actually being kind of an asshole. So he's at the middle point to be able to call him on. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a very touching issue. And even though there is those ham-fisted elements of like, the kid finds out he's gay and he, he's like, oh, let go of me. That's gross. I'm not a fairy or whatever. Or probably not a fairy because that would have been a loaded term. <laughs> and North Star's like, I think it is. Actually. I think he does say fairy. But <laughs> I think it is. I'm not a fairy, which is funny because, again, you go back right. to the North Star plot from the 80s. I don't think Chuck Austin did that on purpose. No, I don't but think it so is a funny bit of parallelism. Um, but North Star's like, you know, I like men with a little hair on their chest. And the kid's like, <laughs> that's actually pretty funny. Yeah, like you're a little young for me, kid. Relax. And it's, it's like 2002, 2003. That is pretty good by the standards we had at the time. Mm -hmm. I really like Austin's portrayal of North Star. It's funny that you talk about like the, the yearning between him and Bobby or him directed at Bobby because I was never part of... Um, like fan fiction communities or anything that's just absent my nerd journey but textually it's actually pretty brief like he develops this crush mm -hmm. he he runs into he tries to uh or Iceman asks him if he wants to get dinner yeah and then along the way Iceman gets 
distracted by this random female mutant we never see again. And uh, Northstar has to save Iceman from getting beat up by that mutant's husband. Um, but after that, Northstar tells Annie K, the nurse. Uh, uh, Annie G. Annie guys the K uh, name. Is it G? Yeah. So it tells Annie. Uh, you know, forget it. He's straight. We can say Nurse Annie. Nurse no, Annie, the, he yeah. had actually, Jean-Paul and Annie bond mm-hmm. over the fact that they're both in love with someone they can't have. Yes. Right? So like, North Star is into Bobby, but Bobby's straight. Much like Annie is in love with Havoc, but Havoc is involved with Polaris. Right. That's sort of the, that's the parallel track. Yeah. And the Annie, Polaris, Bobby, Havoc quadrangle disaster is something we've already covered on three episodes and someday when chuck austin comes on the podcast (laughs) to do the annie gazakanian episode we'll cover the fourth yeah and it drives on that square plot but you know textually north star lusting after Iceman is fairly brief and then he kind of just gets to be an active member of the team which is a really fun era for him he gets a cool costume that no longer ties him to aurora or you know as cool as those costumes got his hair's white in that run because people the problem is the john byrne like super shiny black hair that north star and aurora have a lot of artists seem to think that they have gray hair yeah you know you get that problem sometimes that's strange i don't have a problem with it it's not like i'm like oh no how dare it's just that quite honestly for a character who already looks and acts like quicksilver a lot of the time (laughs) apart from the fact that he fucks men which quicksilver hasn't been allowed to do on panel yet well he was namor and yes namor and quicksilver were supposed to be doing it in the house of m secret wars yeah i'm still r.i.p that because that's hot i'm not gonna lie that's a hot that's a hot pairing. So Northstar gets to just kind of be a regular active member of the team. And it's it's actually a pretty cool era. And it marks his his switch to an X-Men character. And, you know, Yeah, he's forever an X-Men character after that. And so it, you look back and you're kind of, it, it's an amazing stroke of luck. Because look, I love Alpha Flight. The likelihood of Alpha Flight thriving as a Canadian superhero team in the modern era is is low. To the point where it's now just a name that Gyrick is using to do something else entirely. It's like a space yes, program. It's a space program. And actually, you know, I like that. And it's it's a good way to, re, you know, Al Ewing's doing cool stuff with Sasquatch. I love Al Ewing. I'm just saying there is no superhero team Alpha Flight anymore. We're right. not doing that. But so you look back and you're like, wow, what an amazing stroke of luck that John Byrne gave these extremely Canadian backstories to half the team and then picked these two to be mutants. And then Northstar gets this walk-on role to go do mm-hmm. the other mutant thing with much better visibility. That's what that and Jim Shooter's homophobia are like the two early lucky breaks of Northstar. And not to get into the aurora of it all, because I know that you want to bottle her up a little bit <laughs> because we want to focus on no Jean offense Paul, to her. I assume she'll get no, her no, own. no. I know yeah. she'll get her own episode eventually. Yeah. But the uh, the thing it that is happening with Aurora at this time. Like they're, they're completely divorced as characters mm-hmm. at this point because Aurora has been brainwashed into becoming the concubine of the director at Weapon X in the Frank yes. Thierry Weapon X, which is not a book I like. I've <laughs> mentioned that on this podcast many times. It's the book where Marrow is just like a hottie. Yeah. And gets raped by Mesmero. And I loved the book as it was coming out, but I have not read it since. So I, I cannot speak to it. All the Aurora and Wild Child stuff is repulsive. I was actually stunned. I mean, like, leave it to Zeb Wells. He, he is a continuity <laughs> head. But, like, I was stunned that the Aurora and Wild Child thing came up at the gala because that is, like, the darkest moment in the history of both those characters. I mean, that's how it's that's how it's written in right. the Italian's issue. But I was just like, oh, my God, I really thought we were just never going to mention that again. Yeah. When he was her dog on a leash and they were fucking and it was, like, really disgusting. 
And that's also the book where Mr. Sinister is just suddenly retroactively a Nazi, which is something they've now had to deal with for the rest of time. Yes, no, not a great development for him. My official Jewish opinion on that is that we're letting it go because they made an excuse with like, oh, a different clone did that. And we're just going to let that go because yeah. we can't we just can't have that. Viper's already a Nazi and Fenris are already Nazis. Mr. Sinister is a character that's fun. So like, let's yeah. not let's not tangle him up in the Nazism. Yeah, I had to help a, a Marvel writer friend of mine look up villains recently for a situation. And it's like, oh. Too too many of these are Nazis. <laughs> well, I mean, it comes out of the Golden Age, right? Yeah, like Hydra it, it is impossible. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. absolutely, because it's like, well, what if we did a sympathetic arc for Fenris? It's like, yeah, no, doesn't they're work. white supremacists. You can't do that. And they tried in Thunderbolts, and that was a, right. it was a no. It Speaking of the better no twins, me. though, uh, yeah. yeah. So Northstar gets to be an active member of the team around the same time uh, he's seen in the mentorship role, because that's when the the school is kind of thriving as an element he's of the book. Got one of the squadrons, Alpha yes. Squadron or whatever. Which I think Anol is part of. And then he gets murdered by Wolverine. Yeah, reading that again was tough because, uh, so in that plot, you know, Wolverine's been mind controlled, whatever. I read it and I was like, this really should have been Havoc because Havoc is a character that has other history with Wolverine. Northstar ends up feeling kind of random. It's because he was not of prominence. Well, it's because he doesn't matter. He was expendable and he had a very cool power set. And that's why it worked in Mark Miller's eyes. Mark Miller also just, let's be honest, doesn't give a shit about brutalizing gay men in his comic books. So, yeah, I mean, he doesn't care about optics in general. And it served it served him really well, you know, unfortunately. He's it served him really obviously well. very successful. Yeah. I'm just saying the outcry that did happen in the fandom of like, you can't kill the big, important gay character at Marvel, Mark Miller doesn't give a shit about that. No, so, not you at know. all. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm sure from the beginning, the plan was not, this will be the end of North Star. No, he was always going to come back, yeah. clearly. But he it's a it's a pretty... I remember when it happened, and I was... And I'm not even, like... I didn't really care about the character, especially except insofar as he was representational, mm -hmm. and I was pretty pissed. It was not great, and there were other characters that it, feel, it feels like could have been more relevant to Wolverine's story. Like, it ends up feeling kind of random. I mean, North Star is an Alpha Flight guy. Like, they have that department connection. They but did not he joined after much. Wolverine left. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's like, it, it reads like a very surface level understanding of Wolverine's relationship to Alpha Flight because North Star is not a character that he commanded in Alpha Flight. But they couldn't have done it with Havoc because he had to go into space. Like, they had all this other stuff happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, it's it's not a story that I would recommend to, like, North Star diehards that you got to no. check it out. Um <laughs> Mike Carey is the one who ends up undoing it in another yeah. time that Aurora gets cured and it doesn't stick. It's well, so before that, he becomes the brainwashed leader of like a death cult. And then Nick Fury captures him and puts him in shield custody, and only Wolverine knows he's alive, and it becomes this classified secret. And then, yes, Mike Carey rescues North Star and Aurora yeah. from the garbage heap. Because Aurora, by the end of that Weapon X book, was a truly in-the-garbage character. Like, <laughs> they had really fucked up that character. Yeah, she's not had the most graceful history. And I was trying to, like, glance over this era of Northstar because it's one of my least favorites. And, and it does get completely unpacked. Yes, yeah, so then he does get brainwashed again by the Children of the Vault who brainwash him and Aurora and send them in as essentially like a flash bomb into mm. the Xavier mansion and fuck everybody up. This is right after the decimation and the Children of the Vault are the new threat that 
is causing all this trouble, and they use North Star and Aurora as their operatives. And in a convenient side effect, the medical treatments or whatever that are part of this brainwashing also return North Star and Aurora's powers mm-hmm. to the way they were before everything got fucked up. Yeah. So it's a reset for both characters. They're both wearing their black and white uniforms that yeah. match. Like it's a, they reset. It's Carrie just resets those two characters yes. to some extent. So you can kind of skip that whole era. Yeah, because it's uh, not. And then they're in the background again. Then there's the the plot with Anol where Anol has a crush on him, kind of like a little bit of a hot for teacher thing. But John Paul keeps it very appropriate. Yes. More so than some of the teachers at the Way <laughs> more so than some of the teachers at this yeah, school. Yeah, thank God. Um, but yeah, so then the next thing that really ends up happening with John Paul, do you ever talk about the ultimate line on here, by the way? Or do you leave it Not out? really, unless yeah. it's like super relevant. In this case, I think it is relevant. Yeah. He is gay Colossus's love interest yes. in the ultimate universe, which I think did also boost the profile of the character. I think it did too. Gay Colossus got a lot of attention and North Star was his love interest and they were doing all that. And I feel like just relentlessly terrible things happened to Ultimate North Star though. Wasn't yeah, he it didn't, getting... It didn't end well. He ends up getting yeah. paralyzed and it's treated sort of as like a moral punishment for him cheating in sports. Yeah, it's, it's not, not a good, good no. it's not a good disability story. Let's no, say. not at all. But that, that was going on concurrently. And then, so... North Star's modern era ends up being defined by his reintroduction in the Matt Fraction run mm-hmm. with Greg Land on art. The iconic Fraction Land era <laughs> that we love so much on this podcast. Which is very like glib and gay and it's it's sassy and funny. They're in San Francisco. Outside of the Sisterhood arc, which I fucking hate, <laughs> I think that... That's when he comes back. I think that the writing is not that but i'm just not fraction x-men is just not my bag sure just, yeah I, I love fraction on other stuff fractions x-men just never hit for me i think a lot of people also just forget it even happened because it, it kind of smoothly goes into the kieran gillen run which then is more defined is it i feel like i love kieran like kieran's a friend of mine but i feel like kieran was on the x-men for such a short period of time but he was he was there at schism but the utopia era like the fraction utopia moment i feel like is a big moment for people it's that whole decimation era and it's also a matter of perspective for some people it might be defining for others they forget it part of why i remember it so strongly is because it's when i stopped reading x-men for a while (laughs) because i was so angry about the decimation sure so you know But yeah, he comes back. They're in San Francisco. He and Dazzler get really close because Fraction also reintroduces Dazzler, Mm -hmm. who's also been gone for a long time. They have their fun little gay moments together. Yeah, it's like a, it's a cute, that's a good idea. Like put these two characters together. Fraction also drops in North Star's new, like revised recent history. And there's really no way to make it work chronologically. You just have to not think about it. But he is now the CEO of a, a multi-million dollar sportswear athletic company. And uh, Kyle Jinnadu is introduced as his boyfriend slash manager. It's his PR agent. Isn't yeah. He? Like he's a publicist. And it's later, you know, clarified that like Aurora hired him to be the PR person, didn't realize that they would end up dating. But in North Star's entire history, Kyle is the only man he has ever dated on panel. Ever. Been romantically involved with on panel kissed on panel if you don't count him giving mouth to mouth to the homophobe and even destruction which i do not count <laughs> so inadvertently fraction introduces north star's future husband mm-hmm. i you know i can't i can't ima- begin to imagine what fraction 
intended for the character, but Kyle sticks and Kyle goes on to define and also arguably give Northstar his prominence as we move into the late early aughts and like crossover. I will say because, you know, Northstar, yes, he was now consistently with the X-Men, but he wasn't sticking as a regular cast member. He wasn't fitting into the schism. He has the same problem Karma has, which is that unless a writer cares, he's not going to be used. Yeah, I mean, there are a bajillion X-Men. We love them all. And he's not a character like Wolverine or Cyclops or Emma or Storm who is going to be in a book. Like Wolverine's always going to be there. Northstar is a character you put in because you like Northstar, not because there's some mandate from the people managing the IP on high that Northstar has to be in a book. He also has almost no established dynamics with other X-Men other than that brief crush on Bobby. He's got a great power set and a cool abrasive personality. And we're not using Quicksilver anymore. Because the thing is, Quicksilver up through House of M was an X-Men character for a very long time. Basically, from the beginning of the Peter David X-Factor to House of M, he's unequivocally a character who's part of the X-Men line, as opposed to his sister, who was never an X-Men character and was always an Avengers character. Right. So once Quicksilver is out, because we've done House of M, and we're building toward the MCU, I think the legal disputes about Wanda and Pietro were already beginning to happen between Disney and Fox, is my understanding. So he kind of takes a little bit of a backseat, but he mostly pivots off into plots with like the Inhumans and stuff. Mm -hmm. So Quicksilver's out. Yeah. That gives Northstar the perfect opportunity to become that super fast bitchy guy, like which is a fun character to have. But you have to want that character. Yeah. Again, it's not a character like Storm or like Wolverine or like Cyclops who's just gonna always be in a book. Like Magic now. I mean, that's been an interesting one. Yeah, she's kind of graduated. Magic used to be a character who was only in a book if the writer really loved Magic. I mean, she was dead for 20 years. So (laughs) she was a character that was in the book because someone really liked her. And then once Bendis managed to make her blow up, she's now always going to be in something. Right. She's an anchor now in a way that Northstar is not. Or in a way that her classmates like Danny Moonstar and Karma are not. You know, like sometimes that's how it goes. And Northstar, while he is the one of Alpha Flight. Yes. He's like the only Alpha Flight character (laughs) to survive. In some cases, literally. But he is not an X-Men tentpole. Right. He appears so much in the early 2000s, you know, in teacher roles and here and there and here and there. But a lot like Karma. Again, we have this gay character, so we feel the need to keep them around because they're theoretically important. But we're not going to give them any romantic storylines and they aren't on one of the actual X-Men teams until Marjorie Liu puts them both on her X-Men team. Yes. So there's a quiet period. You know, he's appeared here and there. And then Marjorie Liu comes on Astonishing X-Men, I think around like. 45 or something 48 i want to say oh probably because the wedding happens very soon after she comes on i know i just reread all of this for the karma episode actually so it's very fresh in my head here's the thing i like marjorie lou's north star quite a bit i think she does a good job of balancing his asshole tendencies with something to care and like about him which not every writer nails Mm -hmm. i also think she creates a very believable and enjoyable relationship between him and Kyle. The problem is, and you and Anthony talked about this on the Iceman episode, is that marrying a superpowered character to a non-superpowered character is often a narrative kiss of death. It's a dead end for the character a a lot of the time. You end up having to 
halfway ignore the relationship, constantly imperil the non-powered person, which does happen to Kyle, or split them up. You know, if there's ever a writer brave enough to do the first gay divorce storyline, he or she or they is going to get raked across the coals. So this is the problem. The problem is, I think Marjorie Liu writes a good North Star. I think that North Star and Kyle's relationship as it's written in the Marjorie Liu run specifically, there's interesting stuff to it. My issue is twofold. One is, what's interesting about it to me in the Marjorie Lee stuff is that it's an incredibly unhealthy relationship. Kyle is not happy. Northstar proposes to try and smooth over all the issues in their relationship. Kyle is like, this is bullshit. That's not what I wanted. Like, you are so ridiculous. This is really not working. And then in the following issue, he's changed his mind and they get married. It's insane it's fully insane i just reread this and i'm still not sure like if i missed something after kyle's life is threatened by the marauders don't forget that right and then susan hachi does her whole thing right like if the point was they're rushing into marriage because it's a band-aid on their shitty relationship and now gay people can do that so let's get all this attention if they had made it a pr thing because again he's a pr guy it was like why don't we get married it'll be incredible publicity our stock prices will soar this that and the other thing But instead, it just suddenly becomes this very played straight romantic kind of thing. And it doesn't track to me with the earlier part of the story. It just feels like they said, "Okay, we're going to do a gay wedding story. And Marjorie Lou was like, well, we've got these gay characters and she did her best. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know if that's the case. I've never talked to her about that. Well, it just to me, it doesn't track. So that's my one problem. And I'll, I'll let you go in a second. I just want to make sure I get my <laughs> both of my thoughts out. We're two chatty fags yeah. talking about <laughs> fag Another comics. Chatty fag, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. So the other thing is, and this is what you were just sort of alluding to, I think it completely ended all of Northstar's trajectory as a character. He gets super prominent for this one event that gets all the press, it's in the New York Times, it's this, that, yada, 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 all the X-Men are coming to North Star's wedding, which, by the way, doesn't really make sense because none of these people know North Star particularly. (laughs) But it's like, well, we're all going to the gay wedding. It's a thing. Like, see or be seen. You know, and Warbird's like, I hate homosexuals. I'm from space. So, you know, whatever. But after that, he's screwed. Because if you're going to have a hero married to a human who's, like, not a superhero, you have two options. One is they have to have powers of their own. Like, you can have Kurt with Amanda Sefton. They've got other issues that are not related to (laughs) her being not a mutant. Then the second option is they have an important job that gives them something to do that is separate from the character. So, for example, Lois Lane is a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter. Mary Jane Watson is a famous actress. Those characters work. In most cases, otherwise, you do it to write the character out. Madeline Pryor is introduced to write Cyclops out. Once that marriage gets broken up, they turn her into a character with powers. Because there's no way to make this character especially interesting if his whole existence revolves around Jean-Paul, but Jean-Paul's unable to participate in all of the soap opera romance plots of superhero comics because now he's married off. Almost no straight characters are married. This is also something that happened around this time to a lot of gay characters at the Big Two because gay marriage was a hot topic. So you had things like Kate Kane proposing to Maggie (laughs) Sawyer or whatever. And it's like, why are all of these gay characters suddenly trying to get married? And it's because of this meta-theatrical story thing of Marvel and DC both going, we want to demonstrate that we support gay marriage. And that's very sweet. But you don't marry off your straight heroes particularly. No one's marrying off Batman. 
In fact, they made a whole to-do about <laughs> Batman's wedding and then it didn't happen. Like, that's the thing. Gambit and Rogue have gotten married now because Gambit and Rogue are characters you can't break up anymore. Fans simply won't tolerate it any longer. So it's like, all right, they're locked in. I don't like the way that gay characters are routinely being desexualized, in my opinion, through marriage. It just feels like respectability politics to me in a way that I don't like. And unfortunately, I was just talking about this in the Cerebro Discord server with a listener who is a black gay man. He was like, I hate that I want them to get rid of one of the only black gay characters at Marvel. So there's this two-pronged issue, which is like, they made this marriage the big story. Like, this is the first gay marriage in a superhero comic by the big two, yada, yada, yada. It's a big fucking deal. So now if they undo it, right, it's the first gay divorce, and now the writer is a homophobe, and Marvel is homophobic, and this, that, and the other thing. It's now too symbolically important. I think this is the same problem that they ran into with Storm and T'Challa. But they did eventually ripped the band-aid off there. They finally were just like, you know what? While we're at it in Avengers versus X-Men, they're getting divorced. A lot of fans, though, were really upset about that because to a lot of fans for whom it was important that these two black superheroes were married, it was a representationally significant that that was taken away. There are a lot of people for whom North Star's marriage probably means a great deal. I haven't met them, is the thing. <laughs> I, I, I haven't really met anyone who's super invested in that marriage. And it's because Kyle is not a character who previously existed before he was introduced as North Star's first ever love interest. Then they had this weird, unhealthy kind of relationship, rushed into marriage, and now we're supposed to accept that they're in domestic bliss. The first time I've paid any attention to it since the Marjorie Lou run is this current X Factor run where I think Leah Williams at least tried to give Kyle like a role in the team kind of, like made him sort of the Jarvis almost, like he's like hanging around the house while they're doing superhero things, which is, I guess what you do. Like that's kind of what Claremont does with Madeline Pryor. It's what the Justice League did with Sue Dibney. It's what the Defenders does with Candy Southern. It's That's a role that you can theoretically put that human character into. You can be like, well, Candy's really smart. Candy's going to lead the Defenders, but like from base because she doesn't have powers. <laughs> you can do stuff like that. And I don't know where this plot was going to go. Like the sad thing about X-Factor being canceled is that I think Leah is the kind of writer who was planting a lot of seeds for later stories. And now hopefully those stories will happen elsewhere. I don't think she's going to leave the X office, but I don't know where that was going. So I think the thing about Kyle and Northstar to me is sort of like a forest versus trees thing. The, the forest of their relationship as portrayed by Marjorie Lou is interesting to me. I think they're both written well. It's certainly not beyond criticism, like you say. There's some... But that's the most interesting Kyle's ever been to me, is in that Marjorie Lou Well, so, you know, it's kind of the only time Kyle has it's been It's the only time character. he's really been allowed yeah, to yeah. do stuff. Yeah, you So know? The, the forest of how Marjorie Lou writes the two of them together is very sweet. And even though there is some power dynamics at play, John Paul clearly loves the hell out of this man and mm -hmm. does not want to lose him because of his superhero lifestyle. So there are elements about that that I like and respect. The forest element of having one of the only gay characters. So you're saying you like the, you like the trees. Oh yeah, sorry, I like forest. the trees. You said I forest twice love... and then I figured yeah. out the metaphor. So I'm My just, bad, yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's okay. I'm just clarifying. Yes, the trees of them together in the Marjorie Lou run are nice. The forest of one of the only out gay men in mainstream superhero comics marrying the first man he's ever shown to be in a relationship with who is not an important character with anything outside of that right to never get the chance to see north star flirt to uh, you know 
hop around to date different people, which is a big part of the soap opera of the X-Men yes, is this huge. kind of rotating chairs of who is dating, lusting after, lamenting whom. You lose that with Northstar. I mean, the fact that Iceman comes out after Northstar is married is really annoying. Who, If you're someone who was invested in that Chuck Austin plot, sure. which I was. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't really bother me because I don't think they'd be good for each other, no. but I would have liked to see them try. This is the thing. <laughs> I would have liked to see it. Show me the shitty relationship. The straight people get that. I want to see it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just even would have been interested to see like Bobby and John Paul talk more about it, but John Paul doesn't really factor too heavily into Bobby's coming into itself well also after the wedding like 10 issues later astonishing gets canceled and then north star is gone until prokoa basically he's in amazing x-men jason aaron's last let's run get nightcrawler back yeah, yeah that book he's in that and i think aaron did uh, intend to kind of help elevate north star and make him more of one of those like always their characters because the team is stacked you know firestar is kind of the wild card but the team is stacked but unfortunately, Aaron's only on the book for five issues because I think he had to go do Star Wars or he got something bigger came up and he ended up leaving the book early. And Northstar appears in the whole rest of the run. But again, he becomes the same sort of character he was in later Chuck Austin or Matt Fraction issues where, yes, he's there. He's got an interesting he dynamic, exists. but he, he's not a pillar of the team. No. And then, yes, he disappears more or less until Krakoa. He's in that little Alpha Flight run that happens sometimes around then. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. If you yeah. ship someone back to Alpha Flight, they're no longer a relevant character. <laughs> right. That's just the fact. No offense to our listeners in the Great White North. Yeah. I'm just saying Alpha Flight is where characters go to die. Yeah. So I like Kyle Jinnadu as he's presented in the books he is presented in. The issue is he has basically had four stories. Three of them have been him being imperiled and one of them has been his marriage. And that does not a character make. Yeah, I have no objection to Kyle. Yeah. Because I have no feelings about Kyle at all. My problem is with the meta text of the marriage. My problem is with the fact that Northstar as a character has been hamstrung by this marriage. He's not as interesting to use. He's just not. Because it's not even with other characters who are married. You look at Gambit and Rogue. You look at Brian and Megan. Brian and Megan's marriage was to write them out. That was the ending. Excalibur was canceled. We're sending these characters away because we're not taking them to the X-Men. There, even though, when you do bring them back around, which they did a couple times, and they did MI-13, and now they're in Excalibur, they have a long history together. So it's interesting. There's stuff you can do. Brian's fraught, weird relationship with Saturnine and Megan's jealousy <laughs> about that. The fact that Kurt and Megan had a flirtation back in the day. There's all sorts of stuff you can play with. Kyle doesn't have anything. Yeah. There's no history because he doesn't exist before he's Northstar's boyfriend. It's also kind of unfortunate that he, not only that, but he is explained as coming into the picture because he works for Northstar. So. Yeah. Which is also kind of fucked up. Sure. I'm not like, oh my God, Sandal. Yeah, yeah. Like, but you know, the power dynamic is already, I have superpowers. I'm famous. I'm extremely wealthy. I'm white. And by the way, I'm your boss. Like, yeah. it's just a lot for their relationship to navigate. I think in terms of Kyle being an actualized character. And the reason I like him in the Marjorie Lou run is because he's always telling John Paul, like, to fuck off. Yeah, he calls him out on all that stuff. And I think it's made pretty clear that, like, Aurora is his boss. Obviously, you know, still a power dynamic. But no, the, but, you the know, other it's issue just like, with that yeah. is narratively... I mean, you look at like a disaster um, 
example like Opal Tanaka. Opal Tanaka is truly the quintessential bad human love interest in an X-Men comic. But... And it's not her fault. No. But goddamn, what a bad character. The one thing she has over Kyle is that she is at least given a bonkers backstory that does yeah, not Yeah, she has her own Ice plot. Man. Yeah. Right. She's a Yakuza princess, it turns out. Right. It's a racist plot, but it's a plot. <laughs> right. She gets a plot. And Kyle does not have that. Give him something. He yeah. needs something. It's unfortunate, I think, that even his backstory as provided to us is tied to North Star because you cut off some of the potential, which is not to say that there is none. And it's also not to say that marriage, like, you know, I'm not a 10-year-old saying, like, my heroes can't get married. <laughs> like, it doesn't ruin a character. No, but you have to make it interesting. Yeah. I love Spider-Man and Mary Jane. I stopped reading any Spider-Man comics after they retconned that out because Mary Jane was the only reason in the 90s that I read Spider-Man because she was plucky and fun and cool and she was always telling him to fuck off when he needed to fuck off. And she was chaining Sigs and taking off her top on camera and he was pissed about it and they were fun. I started reading Spider-Man when they got split oh, up. So. wow. Dark. But so, yeah, I mean, I'm not anti-marriage, but Kyle was created, I think, cavalierly and then... His importance given to him was the marriage. It's artificial. Yeah. Their relationship is artificially important. Right. There's no reason for us to care about it, except that Marvel had never done it before. Right. We didn't grow to love them. There was no development to the relationship. We met them midstream. Kyle didn't even really get lines until they were engaged. Yeah. I mean, he did, I guess, but like, it's like two scenes in Fraction. Like, it's not. It's very minor. And that's why I say I don't know that Fraction intended for him to be No, a I think he was a one-off. Yeah. But like you say, there's also the added complication of he's one of the only gay black male characters in Marvel Comics now. So you you have an unfortunate situation where, you know, the character in and of itself has potential. Marrying them cuts off some of the potential inherent to the soap opera storytelling of the X-Men in particular. You don't have a lot of that. Right, but nobody's going to have Jean-Paul cheat on his black husband with Iceman, for example, because the optics of that would be awful. If they're ever going to do it, they have to make Jim Paul the bad guy because the power dynamic of this relationship is so fucking weird. Well, I think, you know, on Krakoa, there certainly would have been potential, not only for, I know you and Anthony talked about this, but in the gay community, getting married does not mean necessarily that you don't sleep with other people. Like, sure there, doesn't. There are plenty of open marriages. If they made it interesting, again, like all I'm asking for, and I do think Leah was, had there were, I could see, I was like, <laughs> there's a plan here. Something is happening. But it, unfortunately, like it doesn't seem like at least in that book, it's going to come to fruition because yeah. we only got one more issue. I mean, I also think Krakoa probably would have been the neatest off ramp for Kyle. Yes. Kyle being like, I'm uncomfortable with this and yeah. I don't want to go to the mutant land where I'm the only human. And if he was just like, I'm out. You know, I love the Krakoa era to death. It is my favorite X-Men era since Morrison. I'm sure it is an insane situation to be a Kyle Jinnadu on Krakoa. Yeah. And, and extremely uncomfortable, especially for someone who's probably been made to feel uncomfortable for other aspects of his identity many Correct. times throughout his life. The other problem with Kyle is that as the human husband of a B-list X-Men. C, let's be real, a C-list X-Men. I'm going to be kind. It's his episode. <laughs> It is his episode, and we're we're advocating yeah. for him to get more shit to do. I think he's beloved. He has a really intense fandom that does love him. But Polaris is a B-list X-Man. Sure. Northstar is a C-list X-Man. And they're juxtaposed very distinctly at this very moment. You yeah. know what I mean? As a human 
husband with no existing backstory to a C-list character exploring Kyle's emotional interiority is rarely going to be a page space priority. Right. So it's tough. I, I think the other situation is that I would not envy the writer who chose to take it on, not because I think it's a bad plot to tell, but because like I remember the backlash Steve Orlando, who is a queer man, got mm-hmm. when Midnighter and Apollo were not married again in the, the company-wide reset. To be clear, I'm sorry. Yeah. Just because it's this is not a DC podcast. To be clear, what we're talking about is Midnighter and Apollo were married in the Wildstorm universe when they were part of the authority. That was sort of the end of the authority was their wedding and they adopt a daughter and it's a whole thing. Then Wildstorm in the new 52 relaunch gets brought into the mainstream DC continuity and in the new continuity, which led into Steve Orlando's Midnighter title, Midnighter and Apollo were not together as a couple. Yeah. Yet. It was clearly the trajectory. Yes, but people reacted because, again, Midnight and Apollo was the first, period, gay superhero marriage in comics. So it was this thing that was seen as important. And so even though the entire continuity had been reset, including Superman and Lois's marriage, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because he was fucking Wonder Woman for a minute. That was sick. (laughs) That was sick. That was twisted and sick. Point is, people reacted very negatively to that, right. even though the utilitarian purpose of it was so that Midnighter could be a solo hero who had romantic interests. And to also give him a more fleshed out identity. And I think that's the challenging part when you're talking about storytelling around marginalized identity in general, is that people feel strongly, and I don't I don't blame anyone for feeling strongly, but because a lot of us have had a dearth of representation we get very protective of the representation we do get and we want it to serve all purposes. We want it to serve our purposes. We want it to be prescriptive. We want it to be pure. And that can oftentimes be at odds with the demands of creating a story (laughs) with Mm -hmm. conflict and tension and a rising action and a falling action. Well, that's what's going on right now with Mystique and Destiny, I think. It is remarkable that a same-sex couple particularly of two women, is central right now to the entire plot of the X-Men line. On the other hand, it's because they're miserable and suffering and kept apart from one another. So from a representational angle, it's a little complicated. It's like, well, that's great, but also this doesn't necessarily feel good. When narrative scarcity means that there are no other lesbian couples in the X-Men right now on page, the fact that the only one we've got is miserable there are people who really don't like that. And I think that that's reasonable. Like, I get it. I get why people don't want North Star and Kyle to break up. Or right. people don't want drama in their relationship. They yeah. want them to be cute and domestic or whatever. To me, it's boring. Yeah. I mean, I I can't tell others how to feel. I like stories that make me feel miserable to get me through to the next emotion I'm going to feel. You know, like, I like Right, like, that. I like the catharsis of that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not someone who's looking for the story of, you know, gay people being happy in and of itself. There's a time and a place for that, but... And listen, there's a happy medium. Yeah, yeah. It's just with Kyle and Jean-Paul, they've had no drama since they got married. Yeah, and again, if you look at the entire history of the X-Men, so much of it is driven by longing and loss and lust and not being able to have a happy relationship. Right. If you look at any of the couples that are couples we really care about in the X-Men historically, and by we, I mean the fandom generally. I don't care about all these couples, but like, let's say Scott and Jean, Alex and Lorna, Rogue and Remy, Betsy and Warren, 
Storm and Forge, like that yeah. was a thing for longer than you'd imagine. I, I, I like, I like. No, no, I don't mean yeah. you. I mean like, yeah. well, you know, because <laughs> fans now are like, they dated. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that was a thing. These are all character relationships where they go through hell, yeah, relentlessly because that's superhero comics, that's drama, that's soap opera, which is the thing that Claremont infused into his superhero comic that revolutionized the entire genre. Like, no romance comic is about having breakfast with your honey in the nook in (laughs) your little habitat. That's not drama. Yeah. In an ensemble book like X Factor, I think it was fine because there's other stuff going on. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be all personal drama. That book is honestly very compressed, very dense. There's a lot of plot happening happening in every issue so you get little character beats and that's fine we don't necessarily need more than little character beats but if you want north star to be a character who gets attention on the level of scott and emma is another good one scott and emma i mean that relationship i love that relationship in morrison i don't really like how fraction writes it i don't really like how it is written by basically anybody after morrison <laughs> but what it does provide is the constant shit that they're going through makes both of them develop as characters, gives both of them a lot of moments to reflect, to dwell. Their relationship is like not ideally written to me, but they each get character moments that are really interesting yeah. spinning out of it. I can't think of a single interesting character moment that North Star has gotten out of this relationship post-wedding. Yeah, and the problem is that all of these stories they have together are post-wedding. There are two issues right. where Kyle is a real Because they don't exist before yeah. the wedding. And then Kyle gets imperiled in Alpha Flight and he gets imperiled in Astonishing. He also gets broken down and remade as a Plodex. So he has four toes. That's a strange thing about him that just is there. <sighs> you know, why don't we use that as an excuse to give him some fucking powers? <laughs> just because that's the other option. Right. Give him some powers. I mean, again, there's other reasons why people aren't necessarily into Kurt and Amanda. But when Amanda was on Excalibur (laughs) dating Kurt, it worked fine because she's a witch. She has powers. Like, you can do stuff. Yeah. And again, like, they don't need to have superpowers. You know, Black Widow can date a superhero because she's a superhero. She doesn't have powers, but she's a super spy. You need to give them something new. Lois Lane is basically a super spy. She's like the best (laughs) reporter of all time. Trish Tilby, Marvel's answer to Lois Lane, worked as a character. I mean, she's an insufferable bitch. <laughs> you know, I'm not, a, I think, she, I mean, like, that's fun though. Like her relationship with Hank is horrible. They're truly horrible together, which is why Grant Morrison, the way Grant Morrison ends I was gonna it, say, is, yeah. is so funny because like, that's exactly what Hank would do. And that is exactly what Trish would do. It's perfect. Even there though, Trish was a character who could appear on the news. Like she right. did things in the comic. The fact that he works for North Star means even at his job, he can't do something interesting by himself. It's all North Star related. He's selling North Star action figures or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, he has nothing else going on. Yeah. I'm terrified they're going to give them a baby because that's the end. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want that for them. My final word on Kyle and sort of the relationship is like, you know, I'm not anti-domesticity or like happy marriage or... Kyle, I just think that whoever takes them on next needs to get a little creative about giving Kyle a little more agency and interest because right now they have hit a narrative dead end in some ways. Mm -hmm. I think that's why, you know, Leah has played up the happy marriage, which I think feels overdue for a lot of readers and has played up North Star as sort of the one who's got it together on the team. And it works because He's been in that sort of role before as a teacher, 
and you've also got like the chaos bisexual and you've got the younger queers. So as a whole in a very queer team, it makes sense. If we're thinking the longevity. Making him and Kyle the team dads of yeah. X Factor was a very, very sensible, canny decision. I think Absolutely. that worked very well. And again, I feel like it was going somewhere and I would have been interested to see where it was going. I agree. The next person to take these characters on, whether it's Leah in another book or another writer or whatever, needs to emphasize that Kyle is a human being with a role in the story outside of North Star. Yeah. Needs to find that role. Because I think like there's it's clear in these first nine issues that we've read so far of X Factor that there's an effort being made to position him somehow, to take yeah. him someplace. He's having some kind of journey. Yeah. We need to get him somewhere, whether that's something that makes him more able to participate in superheroic adventures or whether that is something that makes him important outside of the adventure context but also outside of north star he needs something because right now as bad as it would be to get rid of the one gay black man at marvel that i can think of off the top of my head because there are not many black queer characters at marvel there just aren't it is also bad for that character to be completely subordinate to a white character's narrative. Even those optics aside, just being the husband yeah. is not the most interesting role. Yeah, no, even if his husband was black, right? it's just, I think there's an added thing there where, I mean, again, like I've talked to black gay fans about this and there are people who find the Kyle character kind of tokenizing. It's like, you did a twofer, basically. It's like right. you did the gay marriage and an interracial marriage for bonus points if we're going to consider Kyle representationally important, then he needs to have a story worthy of that yeah. also. The other thing I'm dying to talk, because I know we've, we've spent a lot of time on North Star and he deserves it, damn it. The one thing I'm dying to talk about though, do you know the comedian uh, Joel Kim Booster? Yeah, I know Joel actually, like in real life, he's a sweetie. So he said something on um, Jinx Monsoon's podcast that I thought actually applied really well to North Star. We're not talking about comics, but <laughs> I actually met Joel because we had the same cover image on Twitter and it was uh, the header image, whatever it's called. Yeah. And it was uh, Emma Frost saying the whole world is watching us now. We must be nothing less than fabulous. Yes. And one of my friends who also knew like a mutual friend of ours was like, you two should know each other. You both have this same picture. And it was just like we followed each other on Twitter. That's how we met. I um Yeah, he's nerdy. Uh, also, that line, uh, I was a commencement speaker for my graduating class at NYU. Nerd. I, I quoted that as the end of my speech. Yeah. It's the most quotable line in all of X. It is. Baby. It's really good. But so speaking of Emma and also North Star, I think one of the other things that holds North Star back, and I think that this is going to be a problem going forward and became an even bigger problem after Bobby came out, mm -hmm. is that North Star is not any gay man's favorite character. Right. And the reason I think that is, so Joel talks about this on Jinx's podcast, talking about his own stand-up career. And once he realized he was hot and stopped making self-deprecating jokes, the audience responds much differently to a, a confident, attractive gay man than they do to a drag queen, a woman, or a gay man who self-deprecates. Right. And Jean-Paul has always been cocky from day one. Yes. He is very handsome. He's very successful. And the retcons to his backstory have made him successful and rich. He's a former athlete. He married a beautiful man. I think all the things that make him a, quote, good representation. Make him deathly dull to me. Make him deathly dull to a lot of gay readers. Yeah. If you ask 50 gay male 
X-Men fans or favorite characters, they're going to list all the women first. Maybe they'll get to a Noel. Uh, and then North Star is probably going to be under a lot of the straight or presumably straight men that we lusted after when we were younger. Exactly. That's why I think Bobby coming out, because so many of us grew up thinking like, oh, Bobby's, you know, he's the cute one. It's a little gay. Right. I never cared about Bobby as a character, especially, but the fact of him coming out was exciting to me because he was so clearly the gay coded character when we were growing up. So it was neat to have that character come out. I was like, great, that's cool. That feels like we're getting something. Right. You know what I mean? And even before he came out, you know, he was the Twinkie one who was always in a Speedo. <laughs> like, there's something right. to him all along. And Me, it's just, I'm looking at Warren and Colossus sure. and Brian Braddock. I just have a different aesthetic. Yeah. You like them hunks. Yeah. I do. But the fact of the matter is, he's also an important character outside of the text because he's a Lee Kirby character. He's an original X-Man. He is a franchise tentpole, even though he was never a Claremont character. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to be that if Claremont didn't use you in the X-Men. Like that's why Havoc and Polaris are so B-list because Havoc only comes in for the Outback. And I love the Outback, but it's not necessarily the Claremont period that is most iconic. Right. So in this case, Bobby is not just a character that I think is more palatable to gay male readers for identification purposes because he is insecure, he is conflicted, he isn't this gorgeous guy who has everything the way that Northstar is. He also is a character who is more prominent by his very nature and retroactively becomes the gay X-Man, which used to be Northstar's thing. And you have the element of many of us had crushes on him or interest in him when we thought he was straight. Yep. So him coming out. We were North Star. Right. Feels like a, I mean, like, I don't want to say like victory, but it feels like a. But it does. It does feel like a victory in some ways. And you don't have that narrative with North Star because his gay journey is implied, stated, married. <laughs> And this is not the same. This is going to happen to karma, too. Whenever Rachel or Ilyana or both are allowed to be lesbians, it's going to be great news for them, great news for the X-Men franchise, great news for the Phantom, and bad news for karma. Because karma is just not as important to character. And that's why karma and Northstar were the gay ones. Because they were characters who were disposable. And I think what, what Joel was talking about, it speaks to a sort of, envy that can build in gay men, especially those of us who are struggling with coming out or those of us who grew up with less accepting scenarios where seeing a gay man who has it all, it can inspire aspiration, but also jealousy. Disdain. Bitterness and disdain. I was fat most of my life. I'm still LA fat, certainly. (laughs) I would say I'm a stocky guy. Mm -hmm. I don't feel great taking my shirt off at whatever warehouse party. You know what I'm saying? Like so many of my gay friends are beautiful gym body kind of guys because that's also part of our culture, right? And so there is a resentment that builds a little bit, right? Like even if you're like, wow, look at his glow up or wow, that guy's so hot. Part of you is also like, but why am I not that hot? Why can't I have that? And I do think that this comes out of the way we are sexualized, the way we are made to feel less than. I mean, you know, I I think a lot of female fans have talked about 
identifying more with the girl next door type character or with the nerdy girl or something as opposed to the perfect collected diva who has everything under control. It's not necessarily relatable if that's not how you feel. And it's easier sometimes to transpose your feelings onto someone who is not you or who you want to be. Is not dealing with your same yeah. issues. Is not going through the life that you would have if you were as lucky as they were right. or whatever. Like, you I know? Think, I think, actually, I think it was you who you tweeted about, like, you know, who is your favorite gay character or something. And, like, my instinct is to say Emma Frost. I don't think Emma Frost likes women, but, like... I do, actually. <laughs> conceptually... When I think of like gay characters, I picture her snapping Cassandra Nova's neck. And like yeah. that is like, you know, a gay awakening for me in a way that North Star never was. Grant wrote Emma as a drag character. I mean, it's very deliberate there, I think. It is a heightened, hyper feminine, hyper drama camp. Right. And that's also take. Grant's tendency with a lot of the the women they write. Yeah. It is, but it's also, I think. It speaks to a lot of Grant's own, like, gender thoughts and interest in performing femininity and stuff like that. Yeah. So that character is a very queer character, I would argue. I mean, I know a lot of trans women who have a headcanon of Emma as a trans woman. And I think that that is a brilliant... I mean, I wish, I wish <laughs> I could do that. I would lead the parade. <laughs> I would throw a party. Like That would be the coolest thing they could ever possibly do, in my opinion, with like my absolute favorite character at Marvel. And it would fit completely. It would be perfect. Like You'd have to retcon a little bit of the cuckoo stuff, but like, frankly, <laughs> frankly... She could do that anyway. Yeah. That could do with a bit of retcon anyway. Yeah. So I think that you're exactly right. And I think North Star has the problem of being the sort of focus grouped gay character who's good representation, which I don't think is necessarily what gay male readers want. I think yeah. that we're too busy either lusting after straight characters. I mean, this is the problem. <laughs> this is like gay men's problem generally, right? right. Like you look at, I mean, Joel talking about this, I'm not, I, I, I'm going to go listen to this episode because it sounds interesting, but it's exactly also the problem. I mean, we are always complaining like actors don't come out of the closet or whatever, but as soon as an actor does come out of the closet, they become fodder for our gossip websites. They become someone we make jokes about on Twitter. Right. Because once this hot, gorgeous, famous actor is gay. We have to take him down a peg because otherwise we're fucking miserable, yeah. right? And that's to say, so I think sometimes good representation, which is what North Star has often been, can make for less interesting stories. But I don't think that's an indictment purely of him or the creators. It's also an indictment of the gay audience, though, yeah, is what I'm saying. It's, like, it's, it's also our problem. As queer men. <laughs> I think queer men That's an us yeah. problem. Yeah, it's yeah. an us problem, too. And the fact is, no gay men have written this fucking character. Tim Fish did one short story about Kyle and Northstar. They're shown in bed together, but don't kiss. Good for him. Love that for him. You get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, sure. Nothing substantial. A couple of queer women have written this character. Yeah. No gay men have written this character. No queer men at all have written this character. Like, yeah. give Steve a turn with this character. You know, something. Because no one's going to get that ineffable thing. Like, you know, I love Greg Rucka. I love how Greg Rucka writes women. I have talked to women readers who are like, I also love how Greg Rucker writes women, but sometimes it doesn't really feel authentic because mm -hmm. sometimes there's a note that will strike wrong because we can't help that because it's yeah. not our life. All you can do when you're writing someone who's outside your experience, you're writing the other, Mike Carey said this on his episode, writing is, he said it in his beautiful accent, like, 
writing is by definition sort of appropriate. So you have to do it respectfully and you have to do it thoughtfully. And certainly there's overlap to the queer male and queer female experience. So like, I think Leah nailed it much harder than most writers have. It's so unsexual is I think what it is for me. And whether or not it's a cliche and whether or not we want to say that this is good or bad, I think that like gay male culture is very sexual and gay relationships, gay male relationships tend to be not necessarily driven by sex, but it's something we talk about all the time. We joke about it all the time because gay sex is funny, right? So much of our life is tied up in silly jokes about the intricacies of gay sex. Sure. Bottoming or douching. Yeah. Silly stuff. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that that's necessarily going to happen in any Marvel comic, right? Because nobody's going to be that. But the straight characters get to do it a whole lot more. And I think that with Northstar and Kyle specifically, there is a sort of saccharine, desexualized vibe to that relationship. I will give Marjorie Lou credit for, I think, attempting to, to inject that at times. I think also she was held back, though. I mean, I think that, like, the other thing is you need corporate to sign off sure, right yeah and who knows honestly and who but, knows i don't well we know that she tried to out bobby and was told no right but i think what what you're picking up on too is that in mainstream superhero comics the way that you're normally going to see sexiness and the build of that is through longing and tension and drawing yep. that out the slow burn yeah there's no slow burn when you think of rogue and, and gambit it's not because they keep fucking on panel it's they literally couldn't actually right. that was part of the appeal yes was that they were constantly they yes. were so horny for each other but they couldn't do anything that is it. kind of a, a, a key element in making attraction or you think about green arrow and black canary it's like characters sure. have this kind of like back and forth and it's not in that you get to to see them bonking but you feel that they are yeah. you know <laughs> like and i think actually you know in the marjorie lou run and, and probably a few other places since they've done their best to show them like getting out of bed or getting in bed yes and i appreciate and that's kind of that. as close as there's like a line where north star's like i gotta go have makeup sex and the rest of the team is like really but you don't get that longing because he was introduced and then they got married. (laughs) It's just not the same. It's so weird because again, they have the big fight where they should break up for a while and then you get them back together and you do the whole plot, but they get married in the following issue. Because I think you're right. It's she starts at 48 and they wanted it to be issue 50. It's like, not, you know, they kind of had to get right to it. The first trade of her run is the big is the wedding Justin Weaver marriage couple. Yeah. Right. Which the other tough thing about the, just the, the quickest diversion when we were talking earlier about like introducing real world things, I'm going to contradict myself where it's like, yes, it feels realistic for Charles to be like, look, I accept you, but I have some blocks. The one thing I hate about the wedding and I give Marjorie full credit for doing the best job possible is the little asides where like Warbird is like, I'm an alien of bird people, but we don't tolerate gayness. And then like Puck and Havoc are like, yeah, this Making is little jokes. a little much. Yeah. I just don't need that. Like, I don't need that question asked and I don't need it thrown in kind of out of nowhere. Like, you know, Puck had been on a team with this guy forever. Havoc has been around a bajillion queer women. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I mean, I read uh, the Havoc of it all as having to do with some of Havoc's sublimated stuff because again, dating Polaris is gay. <laughs> I, I don't know. Havoc has a very intense troubled bisexual energy to me you know some some men can just be pain subs and still be straight 
That is true. <laughs> I don't think he's one of them. I sure. think that he has the standard Summers brother problem of really intense sublimated queer sexuality that hasn't found a productive outlet yet, yeah. which Scott finally realized, like, ah, there we go. <laughs> that makes sense. But I do, I love Northstar. We've talked about him for so long. I do love him as a character, and I don't think his potential is ended by marriage and i don't think kyle is intrinsically a bad choice i think the tough thing is we missed this whole part of john paul's life man i just think that there isn't enough plot spinning out of it to justify it you yeah need more you need more stuff if we're going to keep it we need more now yeah and the mini series he had even though it never said the word gay was such a tantalizing look at how much utility he has as a character and i wish we had gotten this kind of cool globe-trotting flirtatious north star period that unfortunately now is going to be in flashbacks if, if ever if ever so that's a great time for us to move on to the listener questions and i am just going to jump right in yeah. because we have been running <laughs> long which i don't mind but you know these episodes just get longer it's and Pride fucking month. longer and editing them honestly when the raw audio is four hours yeah. is exhausting so as much as the fans seem to love it when i get a long long episode out like there's a reason that karma episode was like four days late or five <laughs> days late or something all right so Stephen bolt writes hello connor and steve Stephen from australia here again so connor if you want to try out your australian accent with a gay twist you can get some practice in before your eventual pyro episode Steve, I enjoyed Cheetah Code so much. It was fun oh. and sexy and full of heart. I probably sound more New Zealandy. My Australian always sounds New Zealandy. Whatever. We're, we're going to make it work. So I first learned about North Star back in the early days of Wikipedia, scrolling through the list of fictional twins as a way to waste time. There I found the names Jean-Paul and Jean-Marie Beaubier and discovered that among the ranks of the X-Men was my soon-to-be favorite male X-Man, grumpy gay North Star. Male is in parentheses because, again, every gay prefers the women X-Men. It's they just a qualification. As a gay man with two wonderful sisters, one of my favorite aspects of this character was his connection with his sister he may be an asshole to pretty much everyone around him but he loves his sister and that connection is so wonderful it literally creates blinding light when they touch it melted my heart to see how beautiful it was and they finally touched again in the recent issue of x factor while i appreciate that it becomes more difficult for characters to develop and be included in new storylines if they're always tied to another character why do you think Northstar spent so much time separated from aurora and having that aspect of his powers that gives him his name de-emphasized is it simply too gay to have a man give off blinding light when he holds hands with his twin sister also remember that time in 2005 when they killed Northstar in three different realities in the space of like a month yikes danny's eulogy was beautiful though thanks so much for all you do much love steven so <laughs> well i gotta say i i'm not australian or, or a new zealander but i have been watching drag race down under and that was a pretty convincing mimicry to me okay well good there we go <laughs> listeners down under right in let me know yeah. how i did or if it, if i was bad please don't be mean i'm sorry i'm doing my best and thank you to that questioner for um picking up cheater code my gay nerdy erotica graphic novel yeah i didn't mention that at the beginning because it's porn but it's good <laughs> it's erotica, you should read it yeah. i read it before it came out yes i'm sorry it's erotica. erotica i read it before it came out yes because i'm special <laughs> it's very good thank you and it's pretty sexy if you're you know if you're looking for gay men in comics who do bang yeah you got Cheater a good, code good amount of that there plenty of that and yes. a big heaping of 90s nostalgia so uh, you know enjoy that as for the question i think it's complicated i don't actually think it's the gay thing because yeah it is pretty faggy to be like i hold hands with my sister and it gives me powers you'll notice that like the other characters who have similar stuff going on quicksilver and the scarlet witch quicksilver's kind of gay funniest thing about quicksilver ever is when he's talking about seeing doc samson for therapy and he tells crystal he's been seeing this guy and crystal's like yeah i'm not really surprised <laughs> That's great. But 
Also, you look at Fenris, putting aside the incest Nazis of it all, which is a lot to put aside, but bear with me, Andreas is bisexual also. Like, there is something fruity about, I hold hands with my sister, and have powers. <laughs> like, it is, you know? So there is that, but I don't think that's what it is. I think, honestly, more than anything else, it's that Aurora's split personality thing was not appealing to most writers. Like, anyone but John Byrne, they really weren't interested in doing that because it's weird it's just like a weird thing to have in your superhero comic book it's not even like a rose and thorn type thing where like it's her superhero transformation it's not like she's not she-ra right like it's just like sometimes she's a weird frigid catholic with a bun like there's no real there's not a lot to do there yeah the other elements i would add is that just on a practical level creating light is not the most utilitarian power no the useful thing about them is that they're fast yeah. not the light blast. that's the, that's the reason i think it doesn't get used a lot is because they were already given you know maybe john Byrne had the foresight to know it, that, that it was not the most useful power so they both have more useful skills on their own i also think that you know part of north star's resurgence was that he was a gay man and john marie was yeah not and so he became useful from an optics standpoint and a diversity standpoint whereas she actually became a liability because there was discourse at that yeah. time especially when the frank terry weapon x was coming out and i think that book earned the discourse but i'm just saying like there was a lot of talk about the representation of mental illness in comics at that time and about aurora being a dated character being a character that was kind of offensive in yeah. certain respects and she had already been through that cycle so many times and that was not even the last time she goes through that cycle yeah what are you gonna do again integrate her personalities have her develop another personality we've yeah. done this like 20 times so it's no longer interesting yeah and i think that's one of the nicest elements of the current x-factor run is that jean marie and John Paul are in the same book again, but they're actually getting pretty um, separate things to do, a, a new nuance to their relationship. So I, I can see why someone with an affection for fictional twins would be kind of bummed out. But I think that as one of the only gay male characters, North Star needed to kind of, uh, forgive me, shine on his own <laughs> for a while. The other thing is that their relationship is weird because they met as adults. So it's not like... Pietro and Wanda, where they have this intense bond of being twins their whole life. It's like, oh, I found out I had a twin when I was 30. Yeah. It's like a weird thing that I think is interesting, but they've never been that close as siblings. So it's not even really like, a, like their power is almost ironic because they don't want to hold hands. Right? right. And I have to wonder if part of that was because, so at the in mid 80s, there's no genetic testing or whatever. I wondered if having a, a sinking power was another way to be like, oh yeah. Like prove, oh, we are yeah, twins. Because when yeah. we touch, there's a huge burst of light. Yeah, right? exactly. So yeah, I mean, I think that it has to do more with the fact that Aurora was a character that people wanted to get rid of. Yeah. And the fact that North Star was a character who came back literally just because let's put a gay guy on the X-Men yep. was the concept. Which I think is a valid concept. I mean, I've talked about this, like the X-Men as a book specifically, because of the minority allegory, representation is really important in this line. So the idea, let's put a gay man on the X-Men, was a good idea. You certainly don't need to also bring his sister who has the same powers and has a lot of weird baggage. Yeah. It's just not something you need to do. Which is why, again, the Frank Thierry book turned her into a villain. Yeah. Let's do something with her, you know? And I don't think it was successful, but... Sure. If they had a wilder joint power i think that you know writers would probably find other opportunities to use it but a blinding flash of light is just not that useful 
I like how they're written in Leah's X Factor, definitely. Like, yeah. I think the relationship is written well. He's a little patronizing of her, as he always has been, yeah. but in a way that feels less... Toxic. Yeah, like, they've like they've worked out their shit. You yeah. know what I mean? She also, in that book... I'm not super up on Aurora's mental health status quo, honestly, but if she still has the split personality, it's very, very subtle in this X Factor run. The... Pack Van Linty Eaglesham Alpha Flight solves it for like the eighth time, and I don't think it has been undone since then. Okay, yeah. because I've noticed that sometimes she acts more demure in X Factor when the bun is up, and then when her hair is down, she's like more forward. It feels like it's there a little bit, but it's very, very subtle. There's no Jean Marie in the classic sense, no, for sure. I would see Leah wanting that to be like an intrinsic part of the character without. Falling into Without all those old the tropes. problematic, yeah. you know, split persona sure. thing, right? Yeah. Krakoa welcomes asks, "What would Northstar be most embarrassed about in his search history?" Oh my god! You want to take this one first? <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to think of like the a it's porn related. No, yeah, like the answer is something porn related. It's some kind of kinky taboo porn that he's into that he would be embarrassed if the X Men found out about it. Yeah, I guess I'd probably agree with you. I think that... And I don't know what it is. Like, is he into piss? I have no idea. I'm just saying, like, something that, you know, he doesn't want Jean Grey to find in his search history. I think there's also, you and Anthony talked about this, but, like, Kyle would be savvy enough to know that, like, the optics of this big gay superhero wedding, they should probably keep their extracurricular activities to themselves. Right. If they're doing blow off a porn star's ass (laughs) at the after party somewhere in lower Manhattan... It's not going to show up on social media. Yeah, I could see Northstar, you know, Googling like best gay bathhouse Sweden. Zoop, zoop. Right. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Zoop, zoop. We're already yeah. there. We're at the Steamworks Amsterdam. Yeah. I think it'd be very funny the number of times that he's been given stories where he really has to care about a child. I think it'd be funny. Like, I don't want them to have a kid, but I think it'd be funny if he has to Google basics of like how to talk to children. Like that seems funny to me with the way he's currently he likes children but is not good with them yes where he's like he is very clueless about this but i i don't need modern family north star kyle edition i truly (laughs) no that's the end that's fully the end chris mcintosh writes hi connor and steve i love your podcast connor and i'm so glad you're getting to a north star episode i first got into comics as a teen in the 80s with the alpha flight issue where the sentinels attacked jean paul in vancouver at expo 86 i had just come back from the expo with my family and i thought it was really cool to see it drawn on the page by the very underrated dave ross connor i always appreciate the insights you and your guests have about what was going on behind the scenes and boy do we need you on the case for jp coming out when Scott Lobdell took over the writing of Alpha Flight, we got a couple of fun comedic issues, including a bachelor party for Mr. Jeffries, in which JP deals with some homophobes between panels. As queer fans, we were excited that this would mean JP might finally come out. And of course, we got our wish a few issues later. But oh, how I hated it. The comedic tone of the previous issues was gone, replaced with an over-the-top, self-serious tone and an absolutely ludicrous plot. What the hell happened? I understand that Lobdell had a stand-up comedy background, so the fun comedic vibe seemed like it should be natural for him. Was it editorial interference that dictated that the issue should be an after-school special? We'd love to hear any insights you have even though i know this is all pre-x-men for north star all the best for your continued success chris so i don't know i don't know to what extent the north star coming out story came from labdell i don't know to what extent it came from editorial it's clear from talking to fabian that having north star come out was something on the agenda because fabian was figuring out how he was going to do it and then when he was off the book labdell did it a different way so someone was clearly going to do it it's a conversation that they had had in the room i think that 
it is a very deliberate choice to make that issue an after school special because they wanted it to be that. They wanted it to be something that got them positive press, which it did. It also got them blowback from conservatives, but it was tailored specifically to be the kind of story that conservative outrage about would look so foolish, right? Like, I agree that it's pretty maudlin. I think the whole, like, the baby's dying is like, okay. You know, it's like a little much. But that energy was more palatable to an audience in the early 90s that was hesitant to accept gay characters as anything other than the comic relief neighbor or whatever on a sitcom. It's a story that there was just no way to criticize unless you were a gay person saying this is corny, in which case, like, you're not the person with the power in the situation anyway, critically, at that time. So I think that's why. I think if they had made it funny or glib, it would have provided a lot more opportunity for, like, people have to remember, in general, younger people who are reading these comics now, that when this issue came out, this is, like, the million moms and all of that shit. This is the era of, like, Tipper Gore is worried about song lyrics. Video games are causing violence. Like, there was this idea that has come back around a little bit in some yeah. sense. We don't have to get into it. But We're living in the second era of that. When it's weird, because now it kind of feels like it comes from our end more than yeah. it comes from the right. Which a lot is, to unpack, especially lots four, to unpack. four hours deep into a North Star conversation. We're not going to go there, right? <laughs> but... The idea that like art could morally degrade people or that like art was dangerous because fictional characters doing things would influence people, whatever. So the moral panics that existed around superhero content, sci-fi in general, video games, all of that nerd culture stuff at this time was massive. And like the moral panic around gay people generally, and particularly gay men in any remote association to children it was a big deal then and so having a superhero which is this medium for kids have a gay character is going to cause a lot of fuss and so the only way through i think that they saw at that time was to make it a teachable moment not sexual in any way about an innocent baby isn't it so sad like that's how you do it in 1993. I think it made sense. Like I said, I like it more now than I did at the time because I think that it is an interesting document historically. And I think that some of the writing is actually pretty interesting. It is definitely like over the top and ridiculous, not just the art. Like it is very maudlin and melodramatic. Yeah. But, you know, I think that at the time it made sense. Also, comics has a long history of the quote-unquote very special issue. Absolutely. We talked about this in the Skids episode. Spider-Man, child molestation. Skids is the special guest star in the Spider-Man issue. Not the child molestation issue, which is another Mm Spider-Man special issue, but the one about physical child abuse. Yeah. You know, if you're parents are hitting you or whatever like that is a special issue that they also did they did stuff like that a lot yeah speedy doing heroin dr doom crying on 9-11 (laughs) these don't always age that well this is still a time when comics were regarded as a children's medium is the other thing that's worth noting like nerd culture has won and now superheroes are the monoculture but in the 90s it was still 
like an outre thing outside of like kids like comic books. Like if you were an adult reading comic books, you were like a dork, right? And of course that was most of the people reading comic books, but right. I just mean culturally. So that impacted how people reacted to comic books. It's why there was so much drama about the ultraviolence of the 90s because these are for kids. So that's my answer, I guess, is I think that they were very cautious about what they were going to put into a product that the general public would consider to be for children at a time when homosexuality was very controversial still. And so was the idea of these nerd culture things influencing children in a negative way. And I, I would just add that it's also possible that Scott Liddell, regardless of his comedy background, considered it a somber occasion and, you know, buttoned up yeah. in response to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not tonally that different from like Bobby's existential despair on that road trip with Rogue with his parents. <laughs> the vibe I get is that Scott Lobdell's impression of gay men at that time was that they were depressed. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, and listen, we just come out of the AIDS crisis. Like, it, it was a depressing time. Rocio Lippi writes, I wanted to know if you had heard of the theory that Namor is North Star and Aurora's father or grandfather, seeing how similar they are in looks and also personality. I have not heard that theory before. I think it would be funny, but I don't think they should do that. <laughs> I, I have never heard it. And there's no, there's to the best of my knowledge, there's no on page suggestion of that. It is no. kind of interesting though, that Bill Mantlo, one of the reasons his run is a little bit of a slog to get into at first. If you're only reading alpha flight is that it crosses over Namor stuff from Avengers, which I mm -hmm. was not reading. So Namor plays heavily into Mantlo's run before North star gets fairy cancer. But um, it, it, you know, he could have gone in that direction. It just wouldn't have ridden North Star and Aurora off as firmly as I think he wanted to. Yeah. But it would have been very funny then, you know, when you get around to the Namor claiming his mutantdom more um, definitively in the 2000s. Yeah. I mean, I, this is all irrelevant because of the Kyle of it all, unless they do the open marriage thing, which I think would be fun. But I don't want them to be related because I think Namor and Northstar would vibe sexually because we know <laughs> that Namor and Quicksilver vibe sexually in at least one alternate reality. So He likes the speedsters. Yep, I would like to see it. He likes bitches too. I mean, that's Emma <laughs> also, right? Like she's like mean. He likes that. Also, that reminds me, we forgot to mention this. One of my favorite Northstar moments in history is when Hercules died at oh, one point yeah. and they had a funeral for Hercules and a couple female characters are talking about what a beautiful and generous lover he was. And Northstar is way in the back and he's suddenly like, excuse me, I gotta go. I gotta go. I, the, I can laugh at that now. The discourse at the time was so annoying. So toxic and annoying. It was like, I guys, it's funny. Not, yeah. It's funny. Just let it go. It. Yeah. Of course, Hercules fucked North Star. Relax. It's funny. But then every single thing that Hercules did after that was accompanied by like outrage that he wasn't. Right. No. Is Hercules bisexual? Right. And it's like, you guys Here's have an never explainer. cared about Hercules before. That said, I love the current Guardians incarnation. I'm glad they finally pulled that trigger. I mean, part of it was like when he got a solo series and the editor-in-chief at the time was like, he's not bisexual. What are you talking about? Yeah. And it's, was like, uh... Have you ever read a Greek myth? <laughs> Like, he's canonically bisexual. It's on Wikipedia. Well, I, I mean, I have controversial... You might end up cutting all this, but I have controversial feelings about that because I think a lot of the times... The reason the discourse bothered me is there's conflation of pederasty and bisexuality. Sure, but in Hercules' case, if you go to Heracles as, like, a character... Like, yes, it's the Athenian model, but they're not 
children. They're not children, but it's not what we would today called bisexuality and i got very frustrated with the discourse at the time but he's immortal i think that today his own mores would have changed oh yeah it makes sense to have an immortal want some variety over the years yeah. well, but also it makes sense given that cultural model that he existed in yeah. initially that he's fucking that space twink I yes mean, that makes perfect sense that makes to me. perfect sense it uh rubbed me the wrong way at the time <laughs> fair enough fair enough Last question. Zach Wilson writes, Hi, Connor and Steve. I saw in the Discord there was still time to send in questions, so I'm going to try. First question. Is any of Alpha Flight really essential? I feel like a really bad Canadian asking this, but every time I've tried to start, I've just kind of fallen off. I want to like it more than I do. Also, has there ever been a French-Canadian writing North Star? If not, there should be. Quebecers have a really fun and Catholic way of swearing, and I wish that he could do that. The specific way of exclaiming tabernacle, tabarnak, is considered to be more profane than, like, shit, for example. And I think he should swear that way. LOL. Thoughts? Anyway, have a good one. I'm very excited for karma. Have a great day and happy pride. You've read now all of fucking Alpha Flight, yes. so, you know, tell me. what do To you the best of my knowledge, there's never been a French-Canadian writer on the book. I think... Maybe John Byrne was the only Canadian writer. I think Simon Furman might be British, but I could be wrong. Simon Furman is a British sounding name, but that could be Canadian because they have those up there. Yeah. <laughs> so no, there's never been a French Canadian writer to the best of my knowledge. As we also talked about, there's never been a queer male writer on North Star to the best of our knowledge. In an ongoing way anyway. Like there's that Other one Other than off, the Tinfish. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, that's right. Um, essential Alpha Flight, as a Michigander, not a Canadian, I would say... You should read the two X-Men crossover miniseries. The one with 100%. Loki Those are great. About. The one that John Cassidy illustrates is a little retro, but it has some great early art of his. Um, and then the John Byrne run, which is 28 or 29 issues. It's that's one through like, 28. Yeah. That's worth reading. That's the classic Alpha Flight. It, you will know within five or six issues if the team is for you. And if you like that, I would say the only thing that is truly essential after that, you should probably read the Van Linty pack Eagle Sham. It's nine issues. It's good. It's pretty. And it, it plays off a lot of what you would get in the burn run with a few elements that came later, but you would still understand. If you'd like to have a really bad trip, you can do Mescaline and read the Mantlo run of Alpha Flight, which is fully <laughs> insane. I'm not suggesting you do that. I'm yeah. just saying it's an option. It's, Mantlo's hard to get into. I, as a younger person, really enjoyed the, um, is it Siegel or Kelly who does it in the late 90s? I could not tell you with a gun to my head. I think it's Steven Siegel, but those guys were all rotating. Well, and the two of them work together all yeah. the time. So um, Duncan Rollo draws some of it. There's a Brian Hitch issue out of nowhere. The thing, though, is that um, half the team is brand new and they really only appear there. So it's not essential alpha flex. That's when like radius. Murmur, radius, and flex. Yeah. And it also becomes a Sunfire and the Big Hero 6 spinoff <laughs> launch pad. It's Radius is fun because he's Unashone's half-brother, but we've never seen them interact on panel. But there's a thought someday if anyone <laughs> gives a shit. John Byrne, Pack Van Linty, Eagle Sham. That's what I would call essential alpha flight. And there you have it. Well, Steve, I'd love to hear any final thoughts you might have on North Star and then hear about anything you would like to plug. Well, thank you for having me. I, I have to imagine that this is probably the longest Jean-Paul Bouvier has ever been uh, consistently discussed. I would say probably yes. Although the Twitter user Trans North Star sometimes does really, really long Twitter threads. So there we go. Okay. Depending on how we're counting it, <laughs> I think... 
that he might win, but I don't know. Yes, perhaps out loud. We're definitely up there. We're, we're top there. two, yeah. I'm going to say. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think Northstar is a very important character. I think he has untapped potential. I just want to clarify again, I'm not anti-Kyle or anti-marriage, but I think that um, there's a lot of untapped potential, and I look forward to seeing what the future holds for Northstar on Krakoa and beyond. As for where you can find me and other things, I am the editor of Department of Truth, as you said, coming out monthly. I'm also the editor and co-creator of Razorblades, the horror anthology. If you want to know more about that, read razorblades.com or on Instagram and Twitter. I have all sorts of different books coming out. Later this summer, Steve Orlando and I co-wrote a book called The Rainbow Bridge, which is an all-ages, YA-skewing graphic novel. Steve and I also co-wrote a very adult gay thriller, which should be announced soon. Mm -hmm. Excited to talk more about that. And then, yeah, um, in two extremely different lanes, (laughs) you can currently pick up Cheater Code, which is my very 18-plus Nerdy Gay Erotica, illustrated by Daryl Toe, out from Oni Press, available now, a great way to celebrate Pride. And this October, all ages can pick up uh, Spider-Ham, great power, no responsibility. Shadia Amin illustrated the heck out of it. It's coming out from Scholastic Graphics as part of their partnership with Marvel Comics. And it is my first step into the Marvel Universe, the animalized side of it. I'm very excited of everything we got to do in that book. And you know, fingers crossed, maybe you'll hear some more about me in, in the Marvel U and beyond soon. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> does the uh, does the Violet Swan make an appearance in Spider-Ham? No, unfortunately, the Violet Swan was introduced after Spider-Ham was turned in. <laughs> yeah, that's what I figured, but I'm a big fan. And I, yes. I would like to hope, I haven't checked the Earth numbers, but I feel like the Violet Swan must be the Captain Britain of Spider-Ham's world. Wouldn't that Who make sense? Who can say? I, I cannot answer with authority. I don't know. I, I can I don't know. say that the, the animal versions of Captain Britain were my favorite from Tinosaurus. Oh, delightful. <laughs> Obviously, right? Where can the listeners follow you on social media and the web? At Steve underscore Fox, F-O-X-E on Twitter. And the same on Instagram, but that's mostly pictures of my very cute dog. And then at SteveFox.com if you just want a list of of everything I write and the links to purchase it. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at DreamOfOrganon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus a link to the Cerebro fan Discord server. Please don't bring any bad vibes. At CerebroCast.com, the official landing page for the podcast. You can also find a link there to the merch store, which now features three incredible designs, including the beautiful, beautiful Zaladane t-shirt designed by Valentine M. Smith. Thank you so much for all of your support. I always like interacting with all of you. You're all very sweet. This podcast is a joy to do. And uh, thank you for your patience as I've had a couple late episodes over the last few weeks. I'm trying to get all my ducks in a row because I'm flying to L.A. on Thursday. And there's just a lot to get done at work before that happens. Until next time, everybody. Thank you for listening. And bye. Bye-bye. X-Men. X-Men. In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. 